3: Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: We haven't had that many road games in the last, last month or so. So I, I don't even think it's in guys' heads. Um, no one's talking about it, that's for sure. We, we know what we need to do to play, play good hockey, and um, we've been finding ways to win games uh, over the last last few weeks and whatnot. So I, we, you know, I think we can have that carry over here on the road and, and just kind of keep building our game. But I, I didn't know the road record until you said it, and I don't know if uh, many other guys in that room necessarily do uh, just because we're not really focused on exactly what the record is today, but just building our game and, and continuing to
0: get better. They might not be focused on it, Alex Ferrario, but I certainly am of with Alex Ferrario are. and Tanner Hendrickson. and uh, I'm Brandon Kiley. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I am Ron Burgundy. Question mark? It's BK Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Happy Friday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. The Blues back on the road for the final frontier. One of the final things that we need to see this team do to be truly convinced they can win a cup which is go on the road and have consistent success. 7-7-3 are the Blues this season on the road. Next three coming up on the road, 24 of their final 43 games are away from Enterprise. And Alex, when you look back at history as our guide as to what this team needs to do to be a legit Stanley Cup contender, all of the teams over the last decade have something in common. All of them have success away from home. The blues currently have 17 points in 17 games on the road. The average team that won the cup over the last decade finished with 52 points on the road. Blues have their work cut out for them. How do they start with some success tonight against Seattle?
5: Man, they got to get this. They got to get this portion of their season righted. And, you know, Justin Falk was right yesterday when he talked and we just heard that cut. It feels like forever since they've been on the road. So, You know, luckily, I think this is an opportunity for them to start fresh and forget about what they've done on the road. But if you look at their last couple of games where they played at Enterprise Center, I mean, one you're talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins game where that game was kind of ugly. The Winter Classic, which was an anomaly, but you still won that game, but you also gave up some goals in that circumstance. So. It's just not the same team that they used to be where it felt like they needed to be on the road because that's where they connected and that's where they, you know, played their best style of hockey. It's a little different right now. But I think to get back to it, I think it's something simple. And Sundquist said this the other day during the media session when he was asked. It's simplifying things. I mean, the biggest problem that the Blues have gotten into is on the road, they either find themselves up by a couple of goals and then they take the foot off the pedal or they, they make those dumb mistakes in their own zone or in the neutral zone where they're trying to get too fancy with it, where they're trying to play catch-up or they're trying to play that skills competition, and then you get the other team that kind of wakes up and plays their brand of hockey. Simplicity is what makes this Blues team run. They have a simple style of north-south, dump the puck, chase the puck, go to work. They've done that in all of these games on home ice where they've found ways to bring themselves back into games, come back from deficits and take those victories. They just got to back to sim- got to get back to simple brand of hockey, and it starts against a Seattle Kraken team that also has not been great on home ice.
0: Yeah, and you're going up against a team tonight that you're just flat out better than. Like that, That's part of this conversation as well. When they went to Detroit and lost that game, that was one of the two games so far this season when you've been at or close to full strength. You didn't play well, and you went up against a team that you should have been better than and you weren't able to get it done and that's the same situation tonight against Seattle and that's another thing that I'm looking for in this one Alex you finally have your team at legitimately full strength you've got everybody available to you right now this is only the third time all year that the Blues have really been at full strength the other two games were against Detroit and then again against Pittsburgh but even in those two games you didn't have Robert Bortuzzo in the lineup now that was their decision he was a healthy scratch But Bortuzzo's been a good enough player for them this year that I I think to really consider this team at full strength, he's got to be part of your lineup. And that, I would expect, will be the case tonight in Seattle. I'm really interested to see what they look like when they're at full strength, Alex, because I referenced those two other games when they had their full group of forwards. They didn't look great in those two games. Detroit, Pittsburgh, you lost both of them. You had moments where it was able to click. But for whatever reason, it just didn't seem to coalesce the way that you would hope. Now is their opportunity to really start getting those lines going. We've talked ad nauseum this year about the depth of this team, the depth of scoring that they have right now. I think they have their best combinations right now for the first time all year. I'm really curious to see how it actually looks on the ice against an opponent that is clearly inferior in my mind.
5: Yeah, when you look at that Detroit Red Wings game where they had that full group of forwards, they scored two goals against Detroit, and they had a total of 37 shots on goal. So that was the game that, if you remember correctly, Nedeljkovic just he put on a show. But... You didn't score the amount of goals that you usually score, and if you look at it even closely, the third period was your downfall. That you allowed two goals and you gave, or you only scored a goal. And uh, no surprise here, Ville Husso was in that there. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you heard me there, T Bone, but Ville Husso lost a game on the road. It's also been a consistent theme for him, unfortunately. Well, it's been a consistent theme for both goaltenders actually on the road. But then the Penguins game—you know—the Penguins game was different because you scored what was it? Three goals, I think, against Pittsburgh. Yeah but your third period was your downfall. So as a full-strength team, we know this team can score goals. Those two games when they've had full-strength rosters, though, they're not scoring as much as they usually do. The third period still is a successful period for them. It comes down to the third period, and I think what this is is what we've talked about in the past, of people putting egos aside and focusing on a team mentality here, what we heard Braden Chen talk about with the fast lane. There's going to be different roles. You know, when you have nine forwards in your top three lines that all should be top line players, somebody's going to be sitting on the bench in crucial moments of the game. And it just needs to come down to when you are on the ice, you're making the right moves and not letting a third period get out of hand like they've seen in the past. Penalty kill needs to stay strong, which it can now with a full roster because you have about eight guys who can play on the penalty kill for you. Power play. Look, Brandon Saad was kicked off the power play yesterday in terms of the line rushes that they went with because Barbashev's playing so well. If if, if you're going to have this full roster, then it needs to be, oh, damn, we have one of the best teams in the league, and the only way it's going to stay that way is if we have guys that buy into it. And I'm glad you brought up Ortuzo and Scandella, BK. Can I give you the, the Ferrario stat of the day? Please. Man, how about that? Ferrario stat of the day. I got the data. Do you know this team is 7-1 when Bortuzzo and Scandella are paired together? And I'm not talking about the games where they were paired together and there was a seventh defenseman because that throws a wrench into things. I'm talking about six defensemen, 12 forwards, Bortuzzo and Scandella are your third pair. They're seven and one with those guys together. I really think as much as we poo-poo on Marco Scandella, he matches the identity of a third-pairing player for the Blues, much like Robert Bortuzzo does. And Bortuzzo is probably having one of his best seasons as a St. Louis Blue, But keep in mind that those two have been a successful pairing, and you're having that as a full-strength roster, which is the first time this season. So here's another question
0: that I have for you, Alex, because I was looking into this and some of the numbers that the Blues have at home versus on the road. It's jarring. I mean, it's the goal scoring. It's the goal prevention. It's everything. At home, the Blues this year, 3.8 goals per game. On the road, three goals per game. Almost a full extra goal per game on the road, compared, or excuse me, at home compared to on the road. Then you look at the goal prevention. 2.3 2.3 goals per game allowed at home that's fantastic and Villa who is a big part of that he's been tremendous at home unfortunately he's had his struggles on the road on the road the Blues this year have given up 3.2 goals per game so they're basically a goal better per game at home than they are on the road both in terms of the production and the prevention so it's kind of wild to see that I guess my question to you Alex We've talked so much about the second period and how that's been a big portion of their success this year. They, they've been awesome, which is the opposite of what what, what it was a year ago. I, is this about their line changes? Is this about the matchups? Do you think that that plays into it? What you, If you had to put a, your finger on the pulse of what's gone wrong for them on the road, is there anything that's been a consistent theme in your mind, or is it just they they got to start playing better? Is I, it that simple? I don't even know if it's they need to
5: start playing better. It's just like, again... You lost that game against the Detroit Red Wings, and Nedeljkovic stopped 35 of 37 shots. Like, he was the best player in that game. You scored the first goal, you tied things up in the third period, and you let things get away from you. That game, I think, if I remember correctly, Craig Berube talked about how, look, the focus just needs to be getting to the net more, getting more bodies in front of the net. So if there's an area that needed to be better when they were at full strength there, it's getting to the net more. And you talk about chemistry there, line chemistry a little bit with that you know, you're trying to still figure out what worked well. I think it was after that game that we finally saw the Russian line together. So you didn't have the Russian line. You know, Thomas and Cairo were separated at that point, and O'Reilly and Perron really didn't have their chemistry going. So this was a time in November where everything just wasn't clicking right. And then the Pittsburgh Penguins game, I think we all can agree, if Nico Mikola doesn't put a cross check to Sidney Crosby's face he doesn't go into full god mode in the third period and the Blues probably don't lose that game but if there's one area that needs to be better it's not taking penalties if you're going to focus in on that game because you took five of them in that one and you gave up two power play goals but it's also the dumb turnovers because remember that game there were multiple moments in the third period where the Blues would turn the puck over behind their net leave it there and then the opposition would take a chance. So if there's one area that needs to be improved if you're focusing on those two games, I think it's just getting a little bit more comfortable with your line chemistry. But that's why I'm so intrigued by this one tonight, BK, Because if all signs are pointing towards what the lines looked like from practice yesterday, you're going to the Russian line. They know how to play with each other. Saad Thomas and Cairo had two of probably their best games when they played together. And then you got Perron playing back with O'Reilly, and O'Reilly's got newfound chemistry with Brayden Shen. So... If there's a common theme with those two road losses at full roster, it was line chemistry and not feeling like they were comfortable together. That's not a concern for me tonight going into this one. The Blues continue tonight
0: against Seattle. We will continue previewing this with Ryan Clark, who covers the Kraken for the Athletic, coming up at 1130. Pre-game coverage with Alex Ferrario begins at 8. It's late-night hockey over the next few Woo! days. Tonight in Seattle, Sunday night in Vancouver at 9 o'clock, and then Monday night, the back end of a back-to-back at Calgary. That'll be an 8 o'clock start. All of it right here on your home for the Blues, 101 ES. Coming up next, the Cardinals are closing the gap with the Dodgers in one way, and I do think it's pretty significant. It's been the biggest issue that Cardinals fans have had with this team for years, and I think they might be turning things around in that regard. We'll tell you what it is coming up
3: on 101 ESPN. I'm Ron Burgundy. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: say the number
0: one frustration for Cardinals fans in the last seven, eight years or so is that this team has failed to develop the next superstar position player. It's the number one thing that we've talked about, Alex. It's why they had to go out there and trade for Marcelo Zuna. It's why they had to make the deal for Paul Goldschmidt. And on the same day that they traded for Goldschmidt, there were people who were saying, what's the next move for the next big bat? It's why when they go out there and get Nolan Arenado, people are still asking, okay, that's great. We like this move. But now what are you doing for the middle of the order around Goldie and Arenado, Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. And the answer very well may be, just wait a little bit. You know, John Moselock's quote of be patient. That might be the case. Oh, that might gosh. be what we need for the Cardinals. And I, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that says go for it, right? Like I, I am not on this line of thinking. However, Baseball America released their latest article on the top 100 prospects in baseball going into the 2022 season. And the Cardinals were prominently featured on this list. Once again, Jordan Walker is all the way up to number 24 in these rankings. Nolan Gorman is at number 34, and Matthew Libertor is at number 50. Alex, the reason why I think these are interesting and why they are so important is because when you look back at the last decade of Cardinals position players to be featured on this list, it's basically a group of one that were in the top 30, and that was Oscar Tavares. Now you got two guys with Gorman and Walker that are all the way up there in that regard. We're talking about basically doubling up the number of top high end prospects that you have position player wise in one fell swoop. If Walker is as good as this team thinks that he's going to be, if Gorman can make good on being a five or a six hole hitter that can hit you 25 to 30 bombs, this team is finally going to have that next grouping of top in position players that they can build around. Here's what John Mosalock had to say, this was about a month ago, two months ago maybe, about Jordan Walker and how excited the team is about
4: him. In terms of Jordan Walker, gosh, it's uh, enormously exciting. I mean, like, you think of, like, players at that age that have put up those kind of numbers since I've been here, you probably would say Albert Pujols and the other one would be Oscar
5: Tavares. And you know, that's pretty high company here.
0: Those guys that he mentioned there, Albert Pujols, that's what the Cardinals have been missing. That's what they've been looking for. If you've got a cost controlled superstar young talent, man, that's how you start doing what the Dodgers have done over the last five years. You got to find a way to develop these guys internally. And it seems like the Cardinals might finally be doing it
5: that to me is the key in all of this because you look at what the dodgers have done and you know i remember doing the midday show with stalter a few years ago and stalter talked about all that 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 is what the cardinals are lacking to get to the point of the LA Dodgers to be able to draft and turn those draft picks into top prospects in baseball, which result in them being major league baseball contributors, not guys who come up and have, you know, a cup of coffee and then they become bench players and then they become assets to other team, Randy Rosarena. They, they need to be these guys. And if you look at for the, the Dodgers, I mean, look at past history with this. I mean, when you talk about Corey Seager and Gavin Lux and Max Muncie and, you know the pitching side. Will Smith, Cody Bellinger, Yasiel Puig for the longest time there too. But you know the Dodgers' biggest thing is the pitching side of that. But I think we all can agree we're never concerned about that with the Cardinals. No, and they do have a Matthew Liberatore, which could I don't know if he's ever going to be Walker Bueller, but he could be up there in that and conversation. You got Flaherty. you got Flaherty, you got Dakota Hudson, you got these guys that are there for you. It comes down to the bats, and if Jordan Walker and you and I were talking that Jordan Walker could more than anything, become the number one prospect in all of baseball within the next couple of seasons. Yeah,
0: Baseball America yesterday put out a list of the 10 guys that are most likely to be the number one prospect when they put out this list next year, and Jordan Walker was at the top of that list. He was the guy that they believed this time next year, Jordan Walker is likely... Not possibly likely to be the number one prospect, not in the Cardinal system, but in all of baseball. Like he's, he is going to be the next Wander Franco. The way that people talked about Franco before he came up for the, uh, the Rays last year. That's what Jordan Walker is going to be next year. Think about that, Cardinals fans. You're going to have that guy that people are excited to see. That he's going to make his debut, and on Sports Center, they're going to be talking about the fact that Jordan Walker is now up in the big
5: leagues. And that's and that's that's huge right here because the difference is like when Oscar Taveras was at that peak of his career, he was the only one. And Jordan Walker's not the only one. Jordan Walker is just with Nolan Gorman and with Juan Yepes. who I know Yepes isn't on this list, but I think he was just outside of the top 50, if I'm not mistaken. He was in the top 100. So this this T-bone, in my opinion, is exactly how the Cardinals get back into the conversation of the L.A. Dodgers.
6: Yeah, I'm with you guys, because it, you got to build with the cost-control guys first, and then you can add to that and add to your weapons. And... That's something the Cardinals never had. Is it, they've kind of been behind that eight ball of having to go acquire the Goldie, the Arenado. And with these guys coming up, and I get it, it's frustrating as a fan base because we're seeing all the text of what happens. It's a couple years till Jordan Walker's here. I mean, Gorman's right on the cusp. You've got... Uh, Gorman, Yepes are right on the cusp. There's a couple other pieces that maybe aren't those major contributors, like a Brendan Donovan, a Alec Burleson that may not be major contributors, but they're going to be contributors to the team. But it's good to have these bats because the pitching, I'm with you guys, I've never really had concerns about the Cardinals developing pitching. They have a really good track record of doing so. It's the bat that we haven't really seen for a couple of years. And I think I've mentioned this before. This is the most excited I've been about some of these guys that have the potential to come up for the Cardinals in a couple of years, especially in Nolan Gorman. I, I I truly believe he's going to be a star for the Cardinals moving forward. And it's kind of what we talk about in the NFL. You know, how do you build a winning team? Well, it's easiest when you have that cost-control quarterback that's really good. And, and that's the same for the Cardinals. It's easiest when you have the cost-control guys that could be stars in a Nolan Gorman. Tyler O'Neal's only in, what, his first year of arbitration? So... If you have guys like that that can be stars, then the payroll's a little bit lower, which gives you more money to spend in free agency for the holes that do happen to occur. Instead of having to continuously add, okay, we got to go get a Paul Goldschmidt, we have to sign him to a big extension because we have nothing in our system. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do, but it's hard to do that consistently, and that's going to be an issue the Cardinals can run into if they can't develop a bat down the road.
0: Look at the teams that we've all talked about the Cardinals chasing in recent years. I mean, whether it be guys that they acquired while they were in the minor leagues and then ultimately developed or drafted and developed, the Dodgers, one of the main reasons why they've been able to stay at the top is because, A, of course, they're spending a ton of money. That's part of the story for the Dodgers. But also, Will Smith, Cody Bellinger, Corey Seager, Gavin Lux, that's another significant piece to the story. The San Diego Padres developing Fernando Tatis Jr. is a big part of how they became a team that's on the come up. The San Francisco Giants being able to develop internally superstars is how they went on their run in the early 2010s, and then also how they became such a great team again last year. You look over at the Atlanta Braves. That team was basically all drafted and developed from the Braves. So the the way that the Cardinals are going to be able to continue to stay on, sustain what they're doing right now and not just hit that 90 win threshold every year, the way that I know for a lot of Cardinals fans, we get so frustrated as we're watching this team and they uh, they clearly have a good team, but you want them to be great. This is how you go from good to great you add in the the Paul Goldschmidt and you trade for Nolan Arenado and you go out there and get the the mid-tier pitchers like Steven Matz or Miles Michaels. Those are nice pieces to have. But the only way that you're going to be able to take this team over the top because they're clearly unwilling to go out there and spend the big-time money on Carlos Correa or Corey Seager or Bryce Harper when they become available, you got to be able to draft that guy. You got to be able to develop that guy internally. And then for the next five or six years, you've got him cost-controlled, and he's going to cost you basically nothing for the first three years that he's up in the big leagues. So that that's how the Cardinals are able to compete with the likes of the Dodgers. They've got to find their market and efficiency, and they may have found one in Jordan Walker and Nolan Gorman, those two guys coming in into the top 35 in Baseball America's latest top 100 prospects list. They are uh, big-time players in what the Cardinals could be both this year in 2023, man, I think we're going to see Jordan Walker. I think that's the ETA at this point is sometime mid-season next year.
5: It's going to be interesting too because his development. I mean, he is he the the first prospect that's growing through the system under the Jeff Albert system because or am I mistaken when Nolan Gorman was Gorman. here it was it wasn't it a different hitting coach though before Gorman uh, I think I mean about Gorman the time. started his development
0: in the system around the time when Albert kind of took over
5: so Gorman and Walker along with others but Gorman and Walker are going to be the prototypical Jeff Albert player under this system and we've talked so much about that and so many people blame Jeff Albert and the reason that we always have said like he's not going anywhere As John Mose like I said it's not just on the major league level it's throughout the cardinals organization so you're looking at a guy who started at low a ball and has transitioned himself into a double a player which could be at the majors within the next couple of years yeah this is
0: also the crown jewels of randy flores what he's done so far as as the the guy that's in charge of the cardinals draft as well so uh it, it if those guys are able to make good on what the current expectations are That both speaks to Jeff Albert and the system that they've now implemented hitting-wise in the minor leagues – and also Randy Flores and the new philosophy that the Cardinals have when it comes to drafting and developing this talent. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's 1128. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. In 15 minutes, we're going to get to ask us anything. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. But coming up next, we're going to be joined by Ryan Clark, not the guy from ESPN, no, the Seattle Krakens reporter for The Athletic. I want to ask him about Mark Giordano. What has he been this year for the Seattle Kraken? and does he think that Giordano or maybe Alex's favorite mongoose, Jamie Alexiak, could be available up. before the trade deadline? We'll ask Ryan Clark of the Athletic Next on 101 ESPN.: We're right back to the PK and
3: Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tyre and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
0: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by. Ryan Clark, the Seattle Kraken reporter for The Athletic. He joins us now here on BK and Ferrario. Ryan, appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us this morning. I wanted to start out by asking you, you know, that there were some expectations that might have been a little unfair for the Kraken this year based on what the Vegas Golden Knights did in their first season in the NHL. How do you think the Seattle Kraken have lived up to those expectations in your mind?
2: It all depends on, honestly, who you're asking. Because there are people who said that this was never going to be Vegas 2.0, and you've heard that from the front office players, you name it. But at the same time, people thought that they would be better than what they currently are. So, like, let's take last night's game. They get a 3 2 win over the San Jose Sharks, and it's the first time since late November they've won two straight games. If they were to win tonight, it's the first time this season. So, in other words, franchise history, they've won three in a row. And so it's to say that, like, when you look at the way this team is built, there is a thought that if it's not a playoff team, it would be a team that would at least be around 480, maybe somewhat within striking distance of a wild card, not where they are now or right now. They are in this conversation of, are they going to be in the lottery for a consecutive season?
5: Well, and I think that makes this really interesting too, Ryan, and we appreciate your time today. Uh, You know, coming into this season, Philip Grubauer has underperformed for Seattle, the goaltending. But defensively, I mean, they've been without some impact players, but they have some big names on the blue line. Mark Giordano, Jamie Alexiak. If this team truly is fighting for lotteries, do you feel like it's going to kind of be a fire sale come trade deadline for Seattle?
2: It's, it's more than just fighting for lottery at this point. It's sort of how do you look at the roster you have now and you try to retool it ahead of next season. So when you look at draft capital, that is one of the things that has come up in the comparisons of Vegas to, to Seattle, which is Vegas was able to get a ton of it. Seattle wasn't. Why is that the case? And if you look at what the trade deadline could present, it could totally give the Kraken the chance to get some of those assets because, I mean, right now they have eight draft picks. Um, the extra pick being a fourth rounder they have from the Calgary Flames. So if you're them, you're trying to do this to to build your system because, I mean, as you all know, and, I mean, just, again, what do teams like the Blues, the Lightning, the Avalanche all have in common, well, other than they're good, is a lot of them have homegrown pieces that are built from within. And that's one of the ways teams are going to be able to win because, again, when you look at the way the salary cap is, being able to find homegrown talent, especially – homegrown talent that can perform in the first years of that ELC is going to be crucial. And, and that's one of the biggest things that you can do as an organization is to develop that on your own. So if you're the crack and you're trying to do those things like get your own Jordan, Tyru, Colton, Pareco, because, again, there are guys in your system that all of a sudden turn into crucial pieces and players that you can't see yourself really going without.
0: So that brings us to the question that we've been asking ourselves, Ryan, is, okay, then what's the asking price for Mark Giordano? He's 38 years old. He's on the last year of his deal in Seattle right now. He's got a very high cap hit, $6.75 million. So if the Blues, for example, were to trade for him, they would need Seattle to take on some of that salary. But in your mind, A, do you think he's a guy that could be available at the deadline? And B, if so, what do you think they're going to be looking for in return?
2: It appears that way, but it's also one of those he's not the only one you could say that about. Because when you look at the way this team is built, as we were alluding to earlier, then we'll get to the point about Giordano. This is a team that has quite a bit of RFAs and UFAs. So they can really alter this roster between now and the start of next season uh, if they choose to do that. As far as Giordano, in terms of the asking price, that's going to be the difficult part because it all depends on each team's situation. So, like, let's take a look at the St. Louis Blues. Right now, Cap Friendly projects the Blues at $63,720 in available cap space. You're not going to buy a little Debbie for that, which the fact that we can make a joke about you can't buy a 25-cent little Debbie for 64 grand, this is the world we live in. But, no, in seriousness, it's like you just said. They're going to need to crack and to take on some of that space. And as we saw last year, that's what some of these teams who were out of contention were able to do is – they were able to say, fine, we'll trade you this player and take on salary, but you're going to pay a premium, and those were some high premiums. And as far as what that would be for the Blues, I mean, is it worth a first? Is it worth a third? They don't have their second this year, but they have their second in 2023 and 2024. And if you're the Kraken, do you want to get assets for the 2022 draft or 2023? But then maybe there are prospects you you look at as well. And and that's just it, is if you are any team, whether you're the Blues or whomever, trying to look at Mark Giordano – Yes, you realize the Kraken are situation financially. They've, they've got the funds to take that on. At last check, the Kraken's projected cap stage project right now is $6.77 million. So, again, they're fine. But it's just to do that sort of deal, you're going to have to pay a premium, which you would think at this point would be some sort of high draft pick, let's say between uh, reps one and three and maybe a prospect. How
5: has Giordano played, in your opinion, Ryan? Uh, Because, I mean, I know him, and a lot of people hear that name, and they think of the guy, the longtime Calgary Flame captain, but also the player who was the Norse Trophy winner, what was it, three, four years ago with Calgary. I I know it's different. He's older. He's on a different team. But has he looked like that shutdown defenseman that he's been in his entire career?
2: I mean, he's had moments when he's definitely looked like that, but he's also had moments, too, when you'll see them in situations where whether it be the – the quickness of a skater or the structure like accidents do happen and that's going to happen with everyone. But the thing is this, he's playing a bit of a different role because you think about those years in Calgary, it was about as two ways it could get, he could operate a power play. He would log minutes on the PK and do all those things. Whereas if here, I mean, he's still getting the ice time. Let's not get that mistaken. He's still a top-four defenseman here, and he still quarterbacks the first-team power play unit. But at the same time, the way the cracker are built, they don't necessarily need him to play on the PK. Is that something he could do for another team in Spurs? Potentially, because he has done it here, but in the sense of who are your four defensemen you're going to throw out there, like they've gone in other directions with guys like Jimmy Alexiak, Carson Soucy, and the like. So in terms of what you could get with Jordano, I mean, that's just it. As you're talking about someone who has 14 points, in, in 33 games i mean he can facilitate he can give you uh, an extra quarterback on a power play he can play top four top six minutes but again just to see what teams will be able to do with him and how they'll use him it's probably going to be different in the situation here because like here he's on a blue line where like they how you put this like it's a blue line that has had to be able to give contributions because six guys have scored 63 percent of the goals Whereas if he goes to a place like St. Louis, it's going to be a different dynamic because they can get scoring literally from everywhere, down the middle, off the wing, defense, you name it. So, again, it's just a different dynamic, again, if he goes from somewhere like Seattle to St. Louis.
0: Ryan Clark is our guest here on 101 ESPN. He's a Seattle Kraken reporter and an NHL reporter for The Athletic. Give him a follow on Twitter at Ryan underscore S underscore Clark. Ryan, my buddy Alex Ferrario is maybe the biggest Jamie Alexiak fan in all of North America. Like, yeah, that may sound like a joke, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's true. Um, I know he's under contract for many years after 2022. However, do you view him as being somebody that could be available either at the deadline this year or in the offseason? Or is he somebody that the Kraken really do plan to build around on the blue line? It looks more
2: like the latter, because when you think about all the different things he done, does, the president he has in the locker room, but also you think about the contract they signed into. Jamie Alexiak looks like he's going to be part of this team's long-term core going forward. And that's just it. It's like, I mean, when you look at the way this team is built, players like Jordan Everly, Yanni Gord, uh, appear to be in that situation. Some guy named Jaden Schwartz that no one in St. Louis has huh. probably ever heard of is in the same situation. Along with some other guy named Ben Dunn, which I'm sure no one there has ever heard of as well. But, like, when you look at the players who are signed long-term and for these bigger cap hits, like, those are the ones that you look at and say, okay, there's a clear plan. And when you look at Jamie Alexiak and all the different things he does for them, yeah, he plays a, a, a massive, massive role in that, like, he can eat minutes in general. He can eat minutes on the PK. He does whatever you ask him to do. And he has 11 points through 37 games. I mean, his career high is 14 points, and so he's not far from setting that at all. So that's just it. It's like he he's not only that, but he's someone who gives you a veteran presence as well, because that's the thing is you want to talk about, like, what's sort of been one of the weird parts of this team. It's like, it's a veteran team and that, like, you look around, the average forward age is 27.8. Same thing with defense, goalie 27.5, but at the same time you still have enough of these young players like, let's say, a Will Borgen, a Jeremy Lozan, a, a Hayden Fleury, a Morgan Geeky um, that, again, while they've been playing, it's not the same level of experience as a guy like Lexiak or, or or Gord or Grubauer. So having those players in the dressing room is, is key for them. Again, it's not to say that They may not get some offer that they have to look at, but for
5: now it looks like they want to keep Jamie Alexiak here. Well, that disappointed me, Ryan, but maybe (laughs) some point down the road. I'm going to leave that door open here for as much of a fan I am as Jamie Alexiak. I did want to ask you because not just you don't cover the Seattle Kraken, but you cover the National Hockey League of the Athletic. Ryan, what have you made of this St. Louis Blues team and what they have done this season?
2: Uh, how much time do you have?
5: <laughs> as much as you want, my man. You got about
0: 90 seconds, right? Whoa! <laughs> so
2: so we, will, we will keep it super short. Like, the running joke with a team like the Blues is, they're like that team in NHL where you're playing dynasty mode and you just uncover gem after gem after gem. But also it's about how you manage the cap because it's like – you think about the things that they were able to do. Like, yes, you're able to get guys like Ryan O'Reilly. You're able to build around guys like Braden Shen. But then you look at what they do in the offseason by going and getting uh, a Brandon Saad, someone that a lot of people would have wanted. You're seeing what's happening with Tarasenko, which has definitely been a bit of a surprise. But then it is these other moves. Like, the fact that you got Jordan Cairo for 2-8 over 2, Robert Thomas for 2-8 over 2, Sundquist for 2-7 over 2, Barbashev for two two five over 2, like, Those are just such big things at a time when everybody looks at cap space. But really, when you look at this team, it is how they are set up on the blue line that really gives them advantages in terms of having long-term security because you look at the fault contract, which I know at times has been a little bit of a discussion point, the crew contract. I mean, you look at Colton Pareko, which, again, you're talking 6'5", 220, maybe 230, can do really kind of everything and you have guys like that along with Scandella who they're all under contract for at least three years you look at what you've done with the Bennington deal Pavel Butchievich is another guy like you look at what they've got going on in the system and that's just it it's like this is a team that has found a way to not only be good for now be good in the interim and then we look at how they go from within what makes you think they can't do this going forward
0: He's Ryan Clark. Check out his work over at The Athletic. He does really good work for The Athletic. Also, give him a follow on Twitter, at Ryan underscore S underscore Clark. Ryan, we appreciate the time, man. Enjoy the game tonight, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon as we get closer to the trade deadline, and maybe things start heating up between the Blues and the Kraken.
2: No, absolutely, and at that point, we can all badmouth uh, Jeremy Rutherford, and he can't do a thing <laughs> about it, so it'll be fun for everyone. Oh,
5: we do that all the time, right? <laughs> yeah, that- so we'll make sure we do that even more with you next time.
2: Fantastic. Thank you guys so much. (laughs)
0: Appreciate you, man. That's Ryan Clark joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's funny because in so many ways, the blues are the antithesis of the St. Louis Cardinals, but the one common through line that both teams have is this idea of sustained success, right? The blues and the Cardinals both believe that they can both be really good in the here and now, and also sustain that over the long haul. And that is something that in both sports is incredibly difficult to actually accomplish. You look at some of the teams that have had the ups that the Blues have had recently. They also have the really deep valleys like Chicago Blackhawks, for example. Yeah, they had their cup run and now they're paying for it on the back end. This the Pittsburgh Penguins like they had their run and now there are talks in Pittsburgh of Do we need to go through a little bit of a downward spiral here in the next few years? Not right now, but over the next few years, the Blues are trying their damnedest to be able to push that off as far as possible, and that's what Ryan Clark is talking about there, Alex, is they've done a really good job, and that's why everybody loves Doug Armstrong of sustaining the success for as long as possible.
5: Yeah, well, and just him talking about Mark Giordano, I saw a couple of texts on our Air Comfort Service text lines saying, a first and a good prospect, no way. That's that's the price you're going to have to pay for Mark Giordano probably, or maybe it's a second and a good prospect because you're not only trading for him, you're trading for probably about four million dollars as well that you need Seattle to eat on that. And just like and remember, you're trying to get rid of Marco Scandella too if you're going to acquire a Mark Giordano. So. That's why these trades are going to be very difficult. Giordano makes sense, but it's going to be costly if you want to acquire that person. Yeah,
0: you're asking the Seattle Kraken to take on, hey, $10 million from Marco Scandella over the next three years. Can you please eat another $3 million of that contract? So we're essentially getting him for free in terms of what you're getting with the Giordano contract. And also... Uh, we're going to need to send you like a first round pick. Is that enough for you to take on all of that cap? Seattle's going to say, no, we've got better offers out there available to us where another team is just trading us straight up a first round pick for Giordano. They're taking on all of the money in that deal. So you're going to have to include probably something else in that deal. And that's where it gets expensive. And that's where you got to decide, okay, does it make more sense to go that route for the potentially better player in Giordano or do we call Montreal and take on a guy like Ben who who is cheaper, probably not nearly as good, is definitely not having as good of a season right now as Giordano does. But that, that those are the kinds of decisions that when we get closer to the deadline, Doug Armstrong's going to have to make if he wants to improve this blue line.
5: I want you all to understand uh, something, that we're living in a life that on December 19th in two, 2017 – Uh, The Blues could have acquired uh, Jamie Alexiak for a conditional fourth round pick.
0: Along with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, Chris Kerber made a comparison for what the rest of Ivan Barbashev's career could look like. Would you sign up for this, Alex? We'll ask that coming up at the top of the hour. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Normally, we do questions and answers each and every Friday. You guys know we do something called Ask Us Anything here on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the P.K. and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's P.K. and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN.
0: 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. Let's start out with this one from the 314. Hey, BK, you just said you love the Bengals minus the three and a half points. The Titans are favored by three and a half, aren't they? Yeah, I'm an idiot. Um, if I said the the, no. the Bengals minus three and a half, what I Come meant on. to say, of course, was the Titans minus three and a half. I like them straight up. I like them against the spread this weekend. With Alex Ferrario oh and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask
5: Us Anything. Hey, our role-playing played off. Adam Schefter reporting the Broncos are interviewing Eric B. Really? That's who I picked. <laughs> Not Dan Quinn tanner Mm, well
0: tanner never had a chance let's be honest uh
5: 65780
0: is the air comfort service tax line if you've got a question for ask us anything from the 314 guys what is your favorite thing that your wife cooks for you i'm guessing this is for me and alex and not for tanner
5: (laughs) oh man darn sorry t-bone what's the favorite thing you cook for your wife
6: um (laughs)
5: national chicken what is your favorite thing that your wife cooks for you uh my wife makes these um these tostadas, which are phenomenal. It's black beans and onions on top of a tortilla, and then it's got some jalapeno and some... Uh, I'm actually more of the cooker than my wife, though. Like, Same. I'm the one that does a lot of the cooking, but that's one thing that she makes that I think is is phenomenal. So that's one I would pick.
0: So my wife actually does a really good job with chili. Uh, I know that we've made a lot of jokes about chili. My wife
5: does too, actually.
0: Uh, but she does a really good job with that, so that would probably be the number one thing on my list. Tanner, we're not going to go to you for this one from the that's three, fair. one, four. <laughs> Hey, BK, what happened to the Danny Mac show with BK? Uh, If you haven't heard uh, me and Danny Mac talk about this in the past, Dan decided that it was just going to be too much this year, uh, which is completely understandable given the fact that they are going to be traveling. Uh, There's just uh, there's a lot of things, wires that could be crossed when he's on the West Coast, for example, and he's got to do the Danny Mac show at 8 a.m. after having a game that goes until midnight central time. That's an unbelievably quick turnaround, and he's going to be in a hotel that might not have good Wi-Fi. It's just a tough situation to be able to do a Monday through Friday show every single day. So it was just too much. And we had uh, Tim McKernan that became available, and he's doing a really good job from 10 to 11. So um, that's, that's kind of how that went. So now we're, I will say, just for for our show, the 11 to 2, the working situation is much easier now. Because we're able to actually talk to one another before the show instead Actual of show prep, Tanner producing the Danny Mac show, me producing our show, and then going into the studio with Dan, Alex doing the the blue stuff before our show. It it's become a much better working situation for all of us. So uh, this has worked out very well. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service. Oh, and I got to see
5: you more for
0: ask that us one, anything. That is a
5: big problem. Yeah. That hurts. We love each other. He comes in with his attitude like,
6: oh, what's up, boys? I'm the, like, look, man, it's way of, too hey, damn early for this. Not only that, the worst part is he says hi to us twice, and it's really yeah. awkward. Like, what do you say like, the second like, time? Dude, once is enough, okay?
0: I've been uh, taking a lot of Mucinex this week. I have a bit of a cold. No, not COVID. I've been tested multiple times. Uh, and as a result, uh, I sometimes forget things, Alex. <laughs> or I say that the Titans are a three and a half point underdog. I can tell. <laughs> From the six three six guys, when sipping on whiskey, are you neat or on the rocks?
5: Oh, I'm on the rocks. It's usually on the rocks. I don't really? think I've ever. Really, I don't think I've ever really had a neat whiskey. Really? Yeah. It depends what
0: I'm drinking. I can do it both ways. But if I'm going with on the rocks, it's typically like. Two
5: ice cubes is what I go with. That's my uh, personal preference.
0: Oh, you're one but. of those
5: guys. Two ice cubes. If you put three ice cubes in, I'm going to send it no, back.
0: No, 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 no. I'm not that. Typically, if I order on the rocks from a restaurant, I'll ask them for ice on the sides. So that way I can determine how much I'm putting Ho- in there. Hold on. You ask for <laughs> ice yeah. on
5: the side? Yeah, it's easier. That, oh that is such a weird. <laughs> i was heard of that later, Oh, my gosh.
0: Uh, Tanner, are you a whiskey on the rocks or a whiskey neat guy?
6: I like my whiskey neat because I think there's more flavor in it. So that's why I do need I I can do rocks, but I would prefer just be neat.
0: If I'm going neat, I'll. a lot of the times I'll go, like, if, it, if I'm tasting it for the first time, neat first, and then I'll put a couple of drops of water in there. Uh, it opens things up a little bit. From the 618 for Ask Us Anything, guys, why isn't there a crossover anymore? Uh, I don't know. They told us after the new year we don't have a crossover anymore, <laughs> and that's
5: why we don't do them anymore. They were sick of us cutting into other shows' times. Um DK 65780. <laughs>
0: I never did the crossover. Uh 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Ask Us Anything. Uh let's do this one from the 314. Hey guys, whenever you guys have a guest on the phone, for example, somebody like Wayne or David Perron, do you guys pay them to join you, or is it just because you asked them and they said yes? Uh kind of depends. Some guys will do it for charity um some guys will do it as a weekly paid appearance others just enjoy coming on like for example later on today we've got mike mckenna joining the show he's a fantastic human being and let's let's be honest here we're the midday show we don't have a massive budget (laughs) to be able to throw in throw around to guests um he just joins us out of the goodness of his heart which is awesome but it just kind of depends on the guests and whether or not uh we have a relationship with them and all of those. Yeah, different a lot things.
5: of this comes from relationships too. like, you know, sometimes you just have relationships like I mean, for me, like I have a lot of relationships with different writers around the National Hockey League because you see them all the time. You have them on your pregame show like Ryan Clark. I used to have Ryan come on pregames when I did the Colorado Avalanche Blues games when they when Colorado was in town because he used to be the beat guy for Colorado. So a lot of those are just relationships. And I know, BK, you have a ton of relationships on the NFL side and baseball side from your time covering the Chiefs and the Royals. Yeah. Uh, it it just
0: again it really just depends on um, who you're asking about and whether or not they're willing to come on with us for free (laughs) there are some people that wouldn't in their right mind come on with us without getting a paycheck but others who are happy to come on um, occasionally without getting paid so that's that's kind of where it's at for the guests. Speaking of which, Mike McKenna, like I said, will join us coming up at 1215. We've got our NFL pick coming up at 1230. Last question for ask us anything. Guys, what major league baseball uh, team will we, or what city will be the next one to get a major league baseball team? So which city will get the expansion team? You
5: know, I would have originally said Montreal, but with everything that's gone on, in this life with Toronto and the Blue Jays trying to keep that going, and I don't foresee if this is ever really going away for good, I don't know if Montreal makes it happen. I know Nashville was a reported other team that was a hot commodity by Major League Baseball, but I just feel like there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be frustrated with Nashville coming into the league. I think Vegas is the one that should have it. Um, I mean, Vegas has just proven that they can handle sports with football, with hockey, especially hockey. That's the one that I would pick, but I I have
6: a feeling that it'll be Nashville. Yeah, see, that's the one I lean towards, too, is Nashville. But I have a feeling that they're going to move. So, Oakland, I have a feeling is going to end up in Las Vegas. Yep. And then I I still feel like Tampa Bay would be the team that you would move to Nashville rather than moving an expansion team there. Because they just got, to me, they have to get Tampa Bay out of Tampa Bay because they don't have a stadium. That's why I lean towards Montreal, but you make good points, too, Alex. So... I think right now I would say either Nashville or Montreal would be the ones that I would say for expansion.
0: The other two places that I would add to that list are Portland and Charlotte. I think those are two spots that could end up getting an expansion team as well. I think Montreal makes sense, but I think those are the three places that are most likely to get an expansion team. Charlotte, Portland, and Montreal, because I do agree with you guys. I think the A's will eventually move to Las Vegas. They've already announced publicly that they're exploring the option. And Tampa Tampa's eventually going to move somewhere, whether it be Charlotte or Nashville. Those are probably the two spots that make the most sense if it's not Montreal. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next... Yesterday, Chris Kerber made a really interesting comparison for Ivan Barbashev and what the rest of his career could look like. Would you sign up for this kind of production from him, though? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Alex Ferrario, he's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. So yesterday I was listening to the Fast Lane, and normally when I hear Chris Kerber, I don't expect him to compare current players to former players because that's something that a lot of that's Ferrario's job. Yeah, that's that's something we recklessly do. But yesterday, Chris Kerber on his own
5: brought up an
0: interesting comparison between Ivan Barbashev and a former St. Louis Blues player. Alex, here's what he had to say about a comp that he's been thinking about, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, has on the fast lane yesterday afternoon.
1: I'm curious on whether or not he can take a Craig Conroy kind of approach. When Craig Conroy starts with the St. Louis Blues, Joel Quenville is using him almost exclusively in a third- and fourth-line role. And Craig Conroy was right around 40 points one year, then just under, and then had a year of around, like, a couple years of 25. And then when Craig Conroy finally gets traded to the Calgary Flames, he all of a sudden starts playing with Jerome Ginla and he ends up with a 70-point season, then a 60-point season. right? It eventually leads to a big-time contract with the L.A. Kings. Things weren't quite as good, but still had 60 points in, in one of those years with the L.A. Kings. He goes back to Calgary, back with Iginla, and another 70-point season. Sometimes it all comes down to opportunity, and because of injuries and all those different situations, Ivan Barbashev has taken advantage of that opportunity to have a career year so far, at least a career first half.
0: Alex, Ivan Barbashev already has a career high this season in both points and assists. His 34, or excuse me, goals and assists. His 34 points on the season would be a career high if he didn't play another game. He's done all of this in 38 games this season. It's an undoubtedly breakout season for Ivan Barbashev. And it is very similar to the start of Craig Conroy's career, where early on, especially in his first four or five seasons, he was a guy that was consistently getting you 12 to 15 goals. And then suddenly at the age of 30 for Conroy, he has 27 goals. And this is what uh, you just heard Kerber mention. He ends up with Jerome McGinley and boom, 75 points in 2001. The next year, it's 59 points, 47, 66 and then it fell off a cliff a little bit, and he wasn't the same player afterwards. But from his age 30 to 34 season, he was a consistent 60-plus point producer. Alex, if I told you that's what Barbashev was for the next four seasons, he's going to be a guy that gets you 25-ish goals and around 65-ish points. Would you sign up for that if that's all you got? You got another four years or so of this kind of production. Or are you hoping for more out of Ivan Barbashev when it comes to the longevity of his career? I I think I'm hoping
5: for more. And I think that might be insane on my part because to hit the button and get that from Ivan Barbashev for the next four years, that's a hell of a number. But Ivan Barbashev on pace and looks like a 30-goal scorer this season. And as Kerb's mentioned in his cut, and he's right, it's all about opportunities. And he's never had that opportunity, His, his... Year that everyone talks about, the Stanley Cup year, where he was on the fourth line. And by the way, still scored 14 goals on the fourth line. The next year, he only played 69 games. It was the shortened season. Still picks up 11 goals in a fourth line role. And then, of course, last season, he dealt with injuries. This is what Ivan Barbashev is. And the reason that I wouldn't hit that button and the reason I would want to see if there's more there is because he's going to be a top six player for you in the next three to four years. Like for the next three or four years, he's a top six player because the uncertainty of David Perron, the uncertainty of Vladimir Tarasenko is going to open up holes on the wings. And Ivan Barbashev, as a guy who can score goals, playing the wing with either a Ryan O'Reilly or a Robert Thomas, that opens up the possibility for a huge amount of goals. And by the way, those two guys that I just mentioned won't be on the power play also. So that means there's opening up two spots on the power play. Barbashev goes to the front of the net. I wouldn't hit the button because I think there's more from Ivan Barbashev. His final year in juniors, he scored 45 goals in 57 games. This guy is a goal scorer. And under Craig Berube, I think he can be a 30-goal scorer, at least a 25-goal scorer consistently. But I'm not going to hit the button because I think there might be more there. I think I would hit the button.
0: And the reason why I say that is just because if you could tell me right now that I am guaranteeing for the next four years that Ivan Barbashev is going to be a guy that gives me sixty plus points on the next four seasons, man, that extends my opportunity of being a legit Stanley Cup contender for at least the next four years, and that takes you through what his age. 30 season. And then we'll figure things out from there. And if he does drop off a cliff a little bit, if he ends up being a guy that in the back half of his career, he's more of a third or fourth line player than he is a top six guy for you. Honestly, that's fine. And you can figure out what role to put him in there because he's also responsible defensively. But I think I would sign up for this because I I think what we're watching is real, Alex. I'm not trying to dispute any of that. I also see the 24% shooting percentage on the season, and I do think that is going to regress a little bit. I think over the second half of the season, he's going to become probably a 25 to 30 goal scorer as a, as opposed to a 35 to 40 goal score. And that's not saying he's, been, he's going to be bad. It's just uh, the numbers are. It's like if a guy was had a 300, 375 batting average on balls in play. You just expect that to regress naturally over the course of a baseball season. That's kind of how it is with a shooting percentage as well. I I think that moving forward for Barbashev, my hope and expectation is he can be a 20 plus goal scorer and he's going to get you 50 plus points every season, maybe a little bit more than that. But if I can sign up and lock it in right now that he's going to be that for the next four seasons. I think I probably got to lock that in.
5: I I understand that. And again, I think I might be in the minority if you were to ask Blues fans and give them that option. But here's the other thing about Craig Conroy. And don't get me wrong. Craig Conroy was on my top five, my Ferrario five of favorite players from the Blues. I mean, I loved Craig Conroy. He was one of my favorite players. But Craig Conroy's best seasons, 2001, 2002 season, 2002, 2003 season. You talked about the points. You heard Kerbs mention the points. Don't overlook the fact that the points also came with Jerome McGinley, who had 96 that season. Like, Craig Conroy, as great of a player as he was, you needed to have that guy with him. Does that make sense? You you could
0: also, and I'm not using this as an argument against Barbashev. I want to make that very clear. You could also
5: say the same is kind of true about Barbie with this Russian line. But see, I flipped that. I think Barbashev has been the guy that you put him anywhere, and he's going to find success. Think about it. He's played on the Ryan O'Reilly line when David Perron wasn't performing and he has picked up points on that line. He's been on the Russian line. We've talked about that. He's been on a third line and he's still picking up points. Like Ivan Barbashev is a guy who all he needs is ice time. He needs power play opportunities. He needs five-on-five opportunities. You give him more than 14, go back and look at what his ice time average was in that 2018-2019 season. I guarantee it was probably around 14, 15 minutes a night. This is a 17 or 18 minute a night type of player, and honestly, the peak for Ivan Barbashev could be a Selkie trophy because he's just as good of a defensive forward as he is an offensive forward, but the production is there, and the difference there is, again, look at the drop-off for Craig Conroy when he left the Calgary Flames and went to the LA Kings. First year had a really decent year, then it started to drop off. He goes back to Calgary, never the same. Ivan Barbashev's the type of player that he doesn't need the wingers or the centers with him. He'll create scoring chances himself because he goes to the front of the net. It's just a matter of if you put skill around him, he's also going to produce. Yeah, I just I I, I guess I
0: am more risk averse and so at, you're looking at the upside play here of him being more than what Conroy was. I would just want to lock in the fact that I've got a Craig Conroy for the next 4 years, right? With that. Like that that and to maybe for for people that don't go back as far as that with the Blues. The production is very similar to what Steen was. Yeah, like that. That's kind of the type of player that we're talking about. So if you're telling me, hey, I could have Alex Steen from age uh, twenty six to thirty, like that's what the next four years of Ivan Barbashev is going to look like, and then yeah, it does get a little bit worse at the back end of that contract, the back end of his career. I, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat and say, uh, let me figure out what I've got to do moving forward. Right, like I'll, I'll figure that out when we get to twenty twenty seven. But for the next four years, if I could have that guy, I'm signing up for that right now. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got our NFL pick them for this week. Some great games in the NFL. We'll give you our picks coming up at 1230. But next, Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, uh, current NHL analyst for the Daily Faceoff. I want to get his thoughts on what we're watching right now with Ville Husso and how does a team get back on track on the road when they've had some road woes of the way that the Blues have? We'll talk to McKenna about that next on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: He's Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner and I'm Brandon Kiley. We are broadcasting live from the e b Granite Studio at the team Community Ice Center, and we are happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line for a weekly conversation with former NHL goalie and now NHL analyst for the Daily Faceoff. He is Mike McKenna joining us here on the show. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. How are you doing today?
4: Oh, doing pretty good. You know, I was on the ice this morning at Kirkwood with uh, the typical Friday morning group at 7, and always a good start to the day. Been grinding into the daily show and looking forward to, you know, we got a little road trip tomorrow headed to Springfield, Illinois with our eight U team and going to visit the rink that I played junior hockey in, in the NAHL. So it'll be nice. I'll go see my billet family and get to show the kids a high school that I graduated from, which I'll tell you what, I wish it'd been Parkway South where I went here, but it ended up being in Springfield. So <laughs> let's give the kids a little history lesson in my life.
0: Hey Mike, it's interesting. You, you mentioned road trips. What's your favorite arena you've ever played in?
4: Oh man, Montreal was always the place that I looked forward to. There's, there's such a buzz in that building. And considering I was largely a backup for every time that I walked into the place, getting a chance to have a hot dog between periods. And then later <laughs> on, they started to give us, they started giving us Montreal smoked meat. And if you Montreal smoked meat is kind meat is kind of this weird, like cross section between pastrami and brisket. And it's amazing. So I was just enthralled with Montreal for those reasons, but just a really, really cool place to walk in and play. It has its own buzz to it. And you know, when I spent years in the minors in the American League, I liked all the old, just the really run down, crappy barns that had like one shower. Had like Syracuse and Binghamton. I just, I like the nostalgia. I like that slap shot feel to it. God,
5: I'm so glad you brought up those hot dogs. And if anybody missed it, Google Jeremy Rutherford's article about the Montreal hot dogs. Like it is like the most widely known item in montreal home games of like getting one of those hot dogs the stories from backup goaltenders mike of guys who are sitting in the <laughs> locker room during games and just eating hot dogs rather than playing is just <laughs> outstanding
4: the chien show as they say in all francais and french chien show which means hot dog in french but i tell you what one of the craziest stories of my career was I backed up for three different teams and played a game for one of those teams in Montreal in the span of like three weeks. I played with Ottawa. I backed up with Ottawa. I backed up with Vancouver, and then I backed up with Philadelphia. And the security guard was just looking at me like they had three heads. He's like, which team do you play for? I'm like, well, I'm with with the Flyers now. Uh, But previously, Vancouver and Ottawa, they couldn't keep it straight. I couldn't keep it straight. But you know what? The hot dogs always tasted amazing.
5: You know, Mike, I wanted to continue the conversation, and we had some cell problems last week because you were in Florida for a for a, uh, for a meeting, but you were giving a great answer, and then we got cut off in the middle of it, about the the, the competition between goaltenders. And I mm-hmm. asked you if it was healthy to have that competition because it, it just seems like, you know, Jordan Bennington going through some struggles right now, and Huso playing well, and everyone wants to be like, oh, there's a goaltending controversy. I think when you're a goalie you want to have that competition coming from the guy who gets starts over you at times
4: yeah you know what it really does is if you're the starting guy and the weights on your shoulders at all times like those nights that you have off when your backup really isn't up to the caliber that your team would hope or expect it makes it tough because you're sitting there on the bench and you're thinking oh man I might end up in this game and you just want it to be your night off you want a mental break and that's one thing that Billy Husso's done a nice job of this year is one, you know, obviously he's playing very well, but two, he's, he's giving Bennington a little bit of chance to just rest physically, mentally. That's important. But having that driving factor is as well. I mean, like, listen, Bennington's a starter in St. Louis. He, everybody believes in him. They believe he can win a Stanley cup. He's won a Stanley cup. He's carried the team, but you know what? You still got to earn that net and that's good. You know, people thrive on competition as athletes and, I think having Huso there as a complimentary goaltender at this point, maybe he does steal some starts in the short term, but the knowledge is always that, hey, Binner's the guy that we really believe in and we think is going to be able to carry us here. But it's great to have two, two bullets in the chamber, man. I think the Blues right now are better in depth in goal than they've been in a long time, especially when you factor in Chucky Sideburn sitting in Springfield right now.
0: Mike, the other thing that that the Blues have going for them right now is how great they've been at home, but that also brings into question what they're doing on the road, and they've been basically a 500 team on the road this season. It's not like it's been a huge issue, but it is one place that you would like to see them improve a bit. Is there anything in particular that you've noticed that's changed for them, whether it be the way that they match up or uh, the way that they're playing on the road? What is it that you would like to see them improve on the road over these next three games as they're going to Seattle, Vancouver and Calgary?
2: Yeah,
4: well, I mean, especially walking into those arenas like Seattle, you know, that's it's a different place right now. There's the wonder of it, but you got to come in and establish dominance right away. And, and you walk into Calgary, it's the same way. Calgary can play heavy. They can play in your face. You're going to have the kachuk factor. You know, Matthew Kachuk's always up for a game against the Blues. Um, So, I mean, I I think the starts are really where everything comes down to for the Blues. I mean, they've been the comeback kids all season long, you know. And you see more of that on home ice where you get a little bit of juice behind you and the crowd can, can factor in and you can feed off of that. And it's not the Blues that are unique to that. The other night, you know, the New York Rangers did that big time against the Toronto Maple Leafs when they came from behind, uh, just like the blues did against the Leafs recently. And I think whenever you're on the road, you're really looking to establish it that, that first period, you know, and even if you don't get on the scoreboard right away, like you got to at least lead the game and, and, Hits, shots, possession, all those things, because you got to try to set it up for the second period when the home team inevitably will push. They always end up pushing in the second if you get out to it. So they just have to start quicker, and they've got to be able to maintain that lead and carry it through the third.
5: Mike, if you don't mind, take us through what Jordan Bennington's going through right now. I mean, he's had a couple of games where he has performed. I mean, I'm going back to that uh, Dallas Stars game where it was a 2-1 to mm-hmm. victory. But we've also seen the games where the Pittsburgh Penguins put six on him or five on him. From a goalie's mentality, and I know you've never you were never the starter at the NHL ever, you were the backup, but you were the starter in the American Hockey League. Is this more of a mental thing for Jordan Bennington of just trying to get right, confidence-wise?
4: Uh, you know, I think it can be a little bit of both things because the mental and the physical and the technical; those things they all really are they're intertwined. You know, it's kind of like the Holy Trinity of goaltending, right? You know, and without getting a little too deep on the on that side of things, you know, but like. That's really, to me, how it works. Because if you mentally start to chase things, well, you start to lose your technical game, and it all just cycles. And so, is it mental? I mean, in some ways, because when I watch him recently, I think he's he's just pressing a little bit too much, and he's been a little bit indecisive in, in the goals that he allowed. You know, I'm trying to think of—I can't remember which game, which team it was—that you know, a bad angle shot where Bennington's bo- between safe selections. You know, yeah. he, I can tell he's he's not sure whether he wants to go into a what we would call an RVH post-integration or a butterfly, and he ends up getting beat five-hole down the wing from a bad angle. That's just not typical of, of Bennington when he's playing his best, when he's confident, when he's in control, and I think that that's kind of where you know, it, it's just all of it together. And Sometimes you just need one or two big games that you carry the load, but you don't have to steal it those can be really good games for a goaltender where you can just go out, play, you grab a win, you feel good. You didn't have to carry the weight of the team. You didn't have to think too much. I think that's kind of where where Bennington's been at this year, because at the very start of the season, man, I, I thought he carried the Blues. And, and he's had a lull recently. But uh, he's somebody I have – total confidence he'll be able to get that back it's just kind of a matter of being confident in his save selections and his positioning and then you know letting that confidence follow when he starts to make those saves and control the puck.
5: Final question for you Mike is that what we're seeing Husos going through right now just a spurt of just confidence where he's in the right position the team's playing right in front of him and he just knows that he's going to make the saves?
4: Well, two things I think for Huso. The first is that, yes, it is absolutely confidence, but I think that's derived from him spending now what is really his second full season in the NHL. You know, he's been through the rookie year. He's started to learn the shooters. He's started to learn the opposition systems. He's, you know, as he's played more, he's become more doubtful with what the Blues are doing, for, per se, on the penalty kill system wise. That all matters for a goaltender. So all that adds up to he's comfortable. He feels like he belongs in the NHL. Your rookie year, unless it goes absolutely gangbusters, man, you just never know. You don't feel like you're quite there. He feels like he belongs. And I think the other factor for Huso is that he's just tracking the puck so much better this year. You know, there were times last year I'd think, man, how did he not get through that? How did he not get his eyes on it? And this year just looks completely different. Uh, And something that goalie coach Dave Alexander is really big on. He's got several different props and devices to help goaltenders work on puck tracking and, to me, with Huso, it looks like it's paying off this season.
0: He's Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, now an analyst for the Daily Faceoff. Give him a follow on Twitter, Twitter at MikeMcKenna56. Mike, we appreciate the time, as always, man. Enjoy yourself in Springfield this weekend. We'll talk with you again next
4: week. That sounds good. Enjoy, everybody. Can't wait for next week. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks, Absolutely. Mike. Thanks, as always. That is Mike McKenna joining us here. On 101 And it goes back what he just said there about Huso to a conversation that we had recently. Alex, you were talking about how last year it, it seemed like he would give up an uh, an easy goal early in every every start that he up had. The
5: first shot goals, pretty much like it felt like every other start for him.
0: And this year, it's been the opposite. He's been getting off to have fast starts, and then he just sustains it throughout the game. And that's the biggest difference. If you're able to just get off to these good starts and you have some confidence and you sustain that throughout, well, now you're watching what Husso can be and what the Blues are hoping is that, hey, uh, if we can get Jordan Binnington doing that as well, hey, man,
5: now we're cooking with some gas. And also, don't overlook what Husso has said over these last couple of starts of why he's been so good in net and he said a lot of it comes back to the I, the opportunities I've had to practice and work on my things with David Alexander. Bennington really hasn't had that. Bennington's been getting the net, or the time he's had off, it's been pretty much a game the next day or the day in between where the Blues have had practices. Or COVID. Or COVID. I mean, this is he's going to get a stretch. If he doesn't play in this one tonight, which we're not going to know, they don't skate until 1.30 Central time, so maybe we'll get an idea once they hit the ice. But – this is if he doesn't play tonight, he's going to have about 10, 11 days of just practicing. And I sound like Allen Iverson right now, but honestly, <laughs> I'm talking about practice. I mean, we are talking about practice <laughs> right now because I think this is a perfect chance for for Jordan Bennington to just work with David Alexander and get those get those little things that are are plaguing him in net fine-tuned so that when he gets back in that he can come away with a confident builder. alongside alex ferrario and
0: tanner hendrickson i'm brandon Kylie. we're broadcasting live from the e and b granite studio at the Cintine community ice center coming up in 15 minutes we'll dive into the junk drawer but next it's time for our weekend pick'em. there's only four games this weekend so we added in the illini into the blues game into our pick'em as well we'll get to all of our picks coming up here on 101 espn He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We continue our terrible picks for the week with our weekend pick It's no longer just the NFL pick because there are only four games, and we've got six picks to make. So we added in the Blues versus the Kraken Blues significant favorites tonight in Seattle, a game you'll hear right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. And the Illini taking on Maryland oh, without nice Kofi Coburn, oh, though. No. Oh, so we've got over. that one. The Illini are four-and-a-half point road favorite in that game. Alex has the first pick in terms of where he wants to select. He's going to be picking second. Tanner's going to get the back-to-back picks third and fourth. I will have the first pick Who's the leader in this, of this? week's pick them We're not talking about that oh, that's right, right now. Alex Ferrario. And, Alex, my favorite pick of the week is the Green Bay Packers minus the five-and-a-half points at home against the 49ers. I think people are getting out over their skis a bit Damn. with a love for San Francisco. Their quarterback is hurt. He has a broken finger. And he has a hurt shoulder on his throwing shoulder. That seems relatively significant when you're going into Green Bay when it's going to be less than five degrees outside. So I'm going to take the Packers, who have been the best team in the league, the most consistent team in the league all season long. They've got the MVP at quarterback. I understand they're going to have a tough time slowing down that 49ers running game. You're going to have to do more than run to be able to beat Aaron Rodgers in Green
5: Bay. I like the Packers minus the 5.5. So your first pick, the the first overall pick is Aaron Chokes in the playoffs, Rodgers.
0: Yeah, the guy that has, in his career, had one of the best playoff quarterback ratings ratings rather, in the history of football. That's the guy I'm going with.
5: What did he do in the playoffs last year? Oh, that's right. Choke.
0: He was fine. His defense gave up like 200 yards against the 49ers a couple of years ago. That was their problem.
5: Easy over there, BK. Don't get too sensitive. (laughs) I'm not taking a hit at your boy, Justin Herbert. All right, Alex, you're up with the
0: second overall
5: pick. The championship pick, boys. I'm going to save the NFL. I'm not touching college basketball. I'm going to save the NFL, and I'm going NHL. Shocker. <laughs> I know. Who could have seen that coming? I'm picking hey, the blues. Hey, ta- what, hey Alex. What, what? Tanner, who do you
0: think that he's going to be selecting?
5: Uh, gonna be the-, the Blues or the Kraken? going to be the Kraken plus one and a half. They're yeah. going to keep it close. I'm sure it's going
6: to be the Blues.
5: You're damn right. It's the Blues minus one and a half, and I'll save the professionalism for Anthony Stalter on our DraftKings Moneyline pregame, by the way. Cha-ching. Thank you. Blues minus one and a half. Ryan Clark, who we just had on in the previous hour, who was great, by the way. You should check it out on the podcast afterwards. Thanks to Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. There's two in this segment. Joey Decord. I know. Who the hell is that? He's expected to get the start tonight for Seattle because they don't have Chris Drieger, who I believe is on the COVID protocol list. Grubauer played last night and got him a victory. This Joey Decord fellow, boys, how many games do you think he's played in the NHL? I'm going to go one. He's played 12. Oh. How many games do you think he's played this season? He's played three. What do you think his save percentage is? I'm going to stop doing this. He's got an 86 save percentage. Sounds He's like a shutout been, out oh, coming. Yikes. yikes. He has not been great for them right now. Blues have the full roster. I understand it's on the road. they got to get it right. I'm taking Blues minus
6: one and a half. That's my first pick. Well, oh boy, if I would have known that was the goalie in that, that seems like the safest pick on the board. <laughs> uh, it so- is the safest pick on the board. I'm going to start off in the NFL. I'm going to go Rams at Bucks. I'm going to take the Rams plus two and a half. I'm really leaning towards them being able to win this one. I like that pick. The Tampa so. Bay Buccaneers offensive line is beat up. And then that pass rush just looked awesome. Von Miller looked awesome last weekend when they took on the Arizona Cardinals. So I like them plus two and a half on the road. And I'm kind of torn here because without Kofi Coburn, I don't know if I trust taking the Illini. You know what? I don't. I think I'm going to go... Bills what just and happened Chiefs. right now? I, I convinced myself last second. I just had what to. What just happened? I'm going Bills at Chiefs. Give me the Chiefs minus one and a half. I think Ooh, they win he this head-to-head oh, championship yeah, that was a, game. How did you go from a good pick that we agreed with to a bad pick? Because I think Kansas City beats Buffalo. I'm not as concerned as you
5: guys are. Okay. Well, now that he did that, I'm going to make this simple. I'm taking Rams plus two and a half.
0: They've already been selected. No, yeah. he did. Oh, I he did back-to-back the <laughs>
5: picks. I thought Remember, he. I thought finally, he went back
0: on that we one. We
6: finally got the snake draft right in the divisional round of the playoffs where it went three oh, four
5: I thought, I thought he went back on that one so so there's only one nfl and one basketball game yeah, available the
0: nfl game that is left is the Bengals at the titans titans are a three and a half point home favorite and then you've got the illini on the road favored by the four and a half
5: against maryland okay well i'm i suck at basketball betting so i'm gonna stay away from that and i'm gonna stick with Bengals at titans i think titans minus three and a half is the play here um, I understand Tennessee's defense may not be the greatest with their passing defense, and Joe Burrow's going to have a field day. I don't know how Cincinnati's going to stop Derrick Henry. After watching their defense barely perform against the Raiders, it doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies against this team that is stacked. What you say on your, on your uh, earlier that there's only been 100 snaps this season that they have been the full roster? That's scary. I don't think since I think this will be Cincinnati's wake-up call to we got to take another step in the offseason. Tennessee minus three and a half. They've
0: essentially had one full game in which the Titans' main contributors—we're so we're talking Derrick Henry, AJ Brown, and Julio Jones—their main offensive weapons have been on the field together. Uh, they're just a different team when they've got all three of those guys available. And all reports seemingly indicate Derrick Henry's going to be himself. He's going to be the starter. He's going to be the guy that gets the the bulk of the workload against the Bengals. I agree with you. I think they're going to win that game. I think they end up winning that game by seven or more. Um, The Bengals are a good team. Uh, The Titans have been excellent this season, even despite all of the injuries that they've gone through. They earned that number one seed. Well, we can say whatever we want about how the bills versus the chiefs is the AFC championship game. And I believe that to be the case. Those teams lost to the Titans. The Titans got the number one seed for a reason, so I, I think they've been completely disrespected this week. They're going to play the nobody believes in us card, and they're going to be right in doing so. I like the Titans minus the three and a half as well. The only game that is remaining for me is college basketball. Illini going on the road at Maryland. Tanner's terrified of this game. I'm so I frankly don't understand it. Tanner, can you explain to me why? Because I'm going to line I minus the four and a half on the road at Maryland. Why are you so afraid of Maryland?
6: I'm not. It's not so much if I'm afraid of Maryland. I'm just so concerned about the offense without Kofi Coburn because that's how the whole offense is set up to run around him. They bring in the pressure and then he can just kick it out to Frazier and their three-point shooting Carbello with the ball. Any I, ideas? Any
0: guesses on where Maryland ranks in conference play defensively?
6: Oh, I'm sure they're near the bottom. I don't think they're very good defensively. They're having a down year. They are quite literally lost
0: in the conference in uh, in Love. conference play defensively. It's it's been bad for them so far this year.
6: I'm just sc- concerned without Kofi Coburn, Coburn, how the offense looks. We saw earlier in the year how it just was not clicking for the Illini without him. I, I think they went two and one without him, or maybe it was three and one. But they played some nobodies. No offense to those nobodies, but then they did lose a game to Marquette without him, and and that was a team that was predicted to be one of the worst teams in the where they in the Big East and they lost to them, and those turnovers that were a problem. They've settled down the turnover thing, but I'm still concerned with how Kofi Coburn, how the offense looks.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not worried about them at all. Illini win big on the road at Maryland. Maryland so far 1-6 in six in conference play. They've had some tight losses, but I, I think Kofi Coburn being out, obviously that's a loss for Illinois. Andre Corbello's back, though, and you know that's my boy. I'm excited to watch what he looks like as the main contributor offensively. A and I get a big win on the road tonight. So we don't have any Mizzou picks against Maryland. for our pick them. No, no.
6: Those oh, would be man. easy. You just take the spread on whoever they're playing. <laughs>
0: I don't appreciate that comment, but, but it was I had actually a difficult on. time disagreeing with it. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So our picks for the weekend. I've got the Packers minus the five and a half points at home against the 49ers. I've got the Illini on the road at Maryland. Alex has the blues minus one and a half tonight against Seattle. And he's taking the Titans as the favorite at home against the Bengals. And Tanner has the Rams plus two and a half in the chiefs minus one and a half. So if you want to bet those, go ahead and go with us. If you want to uh, fade us, you can do that as well. Coming up in 15 minutes or so. Is there any scenario, any, in which it would make sense for the blues to trade Husso at the trade deadline? I say no way. Alex says no. Maybe here's the scenario in which it would. He'll tell you what that is coming up at one o'clock. But coming up next, time for the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. A junk drawer with BK and Ferrario.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In five minutes, we'll tell you why it makes sense in Alex's mind for the Blues to trade Ville Jusso.
5: Oh, oh Yeah, man, that's you true. I actually me. do think that.
0: That's coming up here in just a few minutes. But right now, let's dive into the junk drawer. Boys, I'm all for sequels. I've got no issues with sequels. I'm not necessarily in favor of them 40 years after the original came out, though. Sometimes you can just let a classic be a classic, and it can stand on its own accord without needing to find out anything more about that story. There was a report, though, earlier today that the one and only A Christmas Story is getting a sequel. Alex, I just don't understand why we feel the need to do this. Apparently, uh, Vince Vaughn is in, uh, in production alongside with others, To have a sequel for A Christmas Story Christmas. It's going to be what it is called. It's original. It is intended for HBO Max. Ooh. Why do we need
5: this? Did anybody ask for us to have a sequel to the movie A Christmas Story? So I've only seen A Christmas Story once, and I hated it. Oh, okay. So I don't really know as much about this, but I'll just give you more of the sequel side of things. I'm with you in certain instances because there have been some movies that they made sequels to it I'm like oh damn that's pretty creative like the most recent Ghostbusters I was so against that and I watched Ghostbusters Afterlife they couldn't have done that any better than what they did to have the original guys come back and have it surrounded around Harold Ramis's character and then the other one that comes to mind the Rocky movies Rocky could have ended after Rocky 4 because Rocky 5 was awful but then they made Rocky Balboa and then they made Creed 1 and Creed 2 Those all have been outstanding. Those deserved sequels. This one does. Anytime you try to make a sequel from a Christmas movie, never really pans out. Were the Santa Claus 2 and 3 any better than the first one? Absolutely not. There's a Christmas story, too.
6: Is there? I've never heard of that. I've never
0: heard of that. Did you guys know that? There are apparently, according to our text line, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. There have been two sequels, not one but two to the chris a christmas story my
5: summer story and a christmas story 2 that's like when they made the sandlot sequel why what are we even trying to do with a sandlot sequel i got to be honest
0: with you i was unaware of this and it was not included in the report from the hollywood reporter that that has been the case that is my apology oh, so all of that was a mistake though. okay all but, of it. but let's a christmas go- story 2 the summer story um
5: the a christmas story christmas that's awful what are are we doing with all of this (laughs) let's go down this road though though how many of good sequels can you come up with compared to bad sequels because i think the the bad sequels would definitely outweigh the good sequels yeah um i would
0: say a lot of people would consider star wars to have a good sequel The Dark Knight was a good sequel in the Batman trilogy.
5: The Godfather. Oh, the Godfather Part Two was better than Godfather One. And we don't we pretend the Godfather. No, Godfather Three doesn't. Godfather Three doesn't exist like Rocky Five.
0: So there are some. Toy
5: Story Two was good. There are some sequels that can do it well, so maybe it's the sequel because, like, I'm thinking Home Alone 2. Home Alone 2 was great. Maybe it's the third one when the third one comes out. When they turn it into a trilogy, that's when it starts to fall apart. Back to the Future. Back to the Future. That's uh, a good see, one. I didn't, I didn't really like two. Two was okay. Well, I don't remember one, what
6: happened in two.
5: Two was when he went back, or they went to the future, obviously. Well, and yeah, yeah. makes sense. The, the thir- Bourne series, oh, Jason those,
0: Bourne. Those, those movies
5: are good. Those weren't very good.
6: You didn't like it? Oh, I loved really. the Bourne movies. I liked
0: Creed 2. Creed was good. The the, the sequel to, in the Creed yeah. films.
6: I never saw Deadpool 2. Did oh. you
0: guys ever Deadpool see that? Deadpool 2
5: was good. It wasn't as good as Deadpool 1, but it was still really
6: good. It was good. I don't, I'm with Alex. It wasn't as good as, two, or as 1, though. Guardians of the Galaxy, that was yeah, two was better two. than one. Oh, see, I, I disagree with that. I think one was much better than two. Uh, see, I, li- I liked two. I can't agree with that assessment, Tanner. Yeah. I, I like on, what I you? liked
0: two better personally. Really?
6: What about yeah. the original uh, Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire? But see, like, yeah, two was great. But
5: Three see, like, comic bad. books don't count, I think, because, like, comic books, you can come up with many of them as you want. Like, That's you fair. create storylines. It's got to be, like, the original storyline of a movie, and then you try and build off of it. Like, you can't do it. Terminator. Terminator 2. Terminator worked really well. Man, it worked in the 80s. Rocky. Rocky. That's what I'm saying. But six. Well, yeah. It must have just worked in the 80s. Like, once you hit the 90s, that's when it started to get to trash. Yeah. I,
0: I think there are some that are good. The problem is when you go 40 years between a film, I think that's when it yeah. becomes clear the original was not meant for a sequel. Yeah, like, stay <laughs> it's away okay. from it. Right. We can just let that stand alone. I do think there, there are some movies, like, when you repurpose them and you just remake them, sometimes that can work
5: really well. See, I thought they did that with Jumanji really well. I I actually loved the ones with The Rock, and I was a big Robin Williams guy. I I think you can do it well. The problem
0: is when you try to make a sequel or, like, add to the storyline and there's nothing more there that's when you could have potentially uh, some significant issues. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up at 1.30, we'll get to our weekly edition of One's Gotta Go. Six five seven eight zero 80 is here, Comfort Service Text Line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's gotta go. But coming up next, Alex says the Blues should trade Philly. Who's Kinda. We'll talk about it next on 101
3: ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobb's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's 103, your time check, brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Tonight's an awesome night, Alex, because the Blues have everybody back on the ice. Their entire roster is available to them,
5: which is great to see. <laughs> I feel like you're setting me up for something.
0: Unfortunately, that's not no! going to be the case Can we with them a for little the longer?
5: entire road
0: trip. For the entire road yeah, trip. Tonight, everybody is available to the Blues. But Unfortunately, not for the rest of the road that trip. is not the case for the rest of the road trip. So because of the NHL and NHLPA protocols that were put in place in December, players that test positive for COVID are required to quarantine for a minimum of five days. And after that, if they have two negative COVID tests, they can oh. return. So Pavel Buchnevich is able to return tonight for the Blues in Seattle. But because they're going to Canada, he's
5: not able to.
0: Because they're going to cross the border to Canada, it requires you to be at least 10 days removed from a positive test. So Buchnevich will not be eligible to join the Blues on their flight to Vancouver for Sunday's game against the Canucks. However, he can play Calgary. (laughs) Sunday's game will be the 10th day since his positive test. And as a result, He's going to stay in Seattle and skate at the Kraken's practice facility before boarding a flight on Monday morning to meet the team in Calgary hey. for their game against the Flames. So
5: Seattle can see what a really good player looks like.
0: So Navich can oh, play T-bone. tonight. He can play on Monday, but he can't play on Sunday. Listen, that's Alex- really
5: confusing. <laughs>
0: I'm gonna say something that there's probably at least a small percentage of our audience that will get mad at me for saying this. This is dumb. This is very. This dumb. is stupid. You're either eligible to play or you're not. I understand that the NHL. There is nothing they can do about this. This is a Canadian government decision, and it is what it is. And you it's fixed by by it got up after the
5: All Star break. There's nothing you can do. But oh, actually, it's not.
0: Yeah, <sighs> this is the this is Canadian yeah, decisions. Not, this has nothing to do with the league. This is stupid. The idea that literally after a four-hour time span, so between the time when the Blues actually take the ice in, uh, what is it that they're going to play on Sunday? Pacific time, um, it's a 9 o'clock
5: start on Sunday. Vancouver. Oh, yeah. Vancouver. Until
0: they end up finishing that game, it's basically going to be midnight, in which case he would be eligible to take the ice with the Blues. If they push this game back like five hours local time, Buchnevich would be eligible to be on the ice, but because it is the day before, he's ineligible to skate with the team. This this is just dumb, yeah. but. These are the rules that we play by. This is life in 2022.
5: That uh, sucks so for Bucine- Pablo Bucine- <laughs> David to come back and play and be like, "Yeah, I'm back finally." And then, oh wait, you're not. This is this is. You know what? I think this is a curse, and I'm not even going to blame the BKO on this one. I think this is just a curse in general around this Blues team. Every time somebody makes the statement of, "Hey, they're back to full strength," boom, something happens, and there you go. We said it for the last couple of days. They're finally at full strength. There you go. Now they're not for a game. Let's just stop saying it after the van. Vancouver game.
6: All right, I'm putting my money on it right now. Booch has a hat trick tonight.
5: I, I just, I can't. That's good for my money, too, because I took the plus one and a half. Uh, these, these rules, These rules, man. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> these rules. Well,
0: the Blues will have their full roster with Robert Bortuzzo and Scandella together as your third-pairing defenseman tonight for, Alex, am I mistaken? This is the first time all year they've had that construction, correct? What's that? Everybody at? available, and also they've got their best defensive core, at least in our minds, yeah. with Robert Bortuzzo and Marco Scandella Only as your third-pairing defenseman. This will be your first time. Unfortunately, you're not going to be able to play with that on Sunday. Son but a- it will be back on Monday against Calgary. So uh good things ahead for the Blues. Puck drop tonight at nine o'clock, right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Alex will have your pregame beginning at 8 o'clock. All right. So that's what the Blues have on the ice tonight. We don't know yet if they're gonna go with Ville Husso or Jordan Bennington in net. But Alex, there was some buzz from Elliot Friedman, one of the best NHL reporters out there that the Edmonton Oilers, who are just hemorrhaging losses right now because they have zero goaltenders, they might have some interest in Villejusso if he were to become available on the trade market at the trade deadline. I'm going to be honest, I think that is a slim-to-none chance of actually happening. I can't imagine the Blues would be like, you know what, yeah, it makes sense for us to trade Villejusso. However, because somebody of Elliot Friedman's prominence has said something like this, I do think it's at least worth bringing up is there any scenario in your mind where it would make sense for the Blues when we get to the deadline for them to trade Husso to a team like Edmonton that is just completely desperate for a legit number one goalie?
5: If it's Edmonton, I, I, I don't know if I see a scenario. The only scenario that I could see with Edmonton would be a first-round draft pick because... I mean, if you get a first round draft pick for that, that's a commodity that you can flip and turn into another asset in the off season. Or of course you can draft something and have two first round draft picks. Here's the thing with Ville Husso. I'm not going to sit here and say, absolutely not. I would not consider trading him. I think there's always a conversation to be had when you have an unrestricted free agent, especially a goaltender like it or not. Jordan Bennington is making six and a half million dollars for what is it? The next five years. Mm-hmm. He's your guy. He's not going anywhere. And, Ville Huso is an unrestricted free agent, 26 going on 27. The time is now if he has a career year to get paid. He doesn't have a whole lot of NHL experience. I mean, he's got 27 games played in the NHL, but if he performs in in 20 25 games this season, somebody might look at that and say he's just a guy who hasn't had his opportunity. And Ville Huso might look at it as, look, I want to I want to play. Does he price himself out of St. Louis? I don't know. For somebody who's only going to have less than 50 games experience in the NHL, it's hard to imagine he's going to ask for $4 million. But he is an unrestricted free agent. And there's a team that's out there that could say, we need Husso. we'll give him five years, $20 million. Blues aren't going to do that. And I know I'm going to sound a little too far-fetched with this one, but the Blues also have another guy who can be used as a backup for that. Charlie Sideburns. It's Over the dude it, huh? who has the best goals against average and best save percentage still in the National Hockey League. Charlie. 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 Oh, Charlie. Let's quit the blast blast so look, from me. I'm not sitting here saying that you're going to trade Ville Husso just because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. That's not what you're going to pull the deal for. If he if you're going to get a third round draft pick for him, you're going to keep him because he's going to give you the best shot at winning a Stanley Cup. But if a team comes calling like Edmonton and says, look, we'll give you a first-round draft pick, or if the Arizona Coyotes say, look, we're, we're willing to move Jacob Chikrin, but Husso and Perutovich have to be in the deal, then I'm going to consider that. If I can upgrade my team now on the defensive side or upgrade my draft assets to where I can turn that into something, I'm going to pull the trigger because I think Charlie Lindgren can provide what Ville Husso has provided. So I think it's twofold.
0: First of all... If something like this were to become a realistic possibility, the prerequisite is at that point in time, Jordan Bennington better be playing at 2019 Stanley Cup champion Jordan Bennington levels because you've got to have – the utmost confidence that when you get into the playoffs, Bennington is going to be starting basically every game for you, and he's going to be playing at a level that allows you to win a well, Stanley Cup.
5: I can already tell you he's going to be playing every game for you. I don't know about the level, but he's going
0: to be playing. Sure, but he that, that has to be a prerequisite. If he's not playing well, you just can't trade Husso this season. Like it, it just can't happen regardless of what the offers are. But if that is in place, and you've got Bennington pl- performing back to what we expected him to be this year. And you get a godfather offer that you just can't turn down. Maybe it is that first round pick and you, you view it as Doug Armstrong of being a long play where you say to yourself, hey, maybe it's something that you can flip that at the deadline. Maybe you're able to get Mark Giordano because it's a better first round pick than what you have to offer. Or you go into the offseason and you're thinking to yourself, OK, now we've got two first round picks plus young assets like Jake Neighbors or Scott Perunovich and Vladimir Tarasenko. And you're looking at Calgary, and you're saying to yourself, hmm, they've got a situation that they've got to handle with Matthew Kachuk. And he's saying now, or there are some reports that uh, that could come to a crossroads again, even to a bigger degree this time around, because he's got even more leverage now this offseason. Okay, I could see how that would make sense. But it all starts with Jordan Bennington has to be playing at a really high level, where you feel confident with him getting... 75% of the starts down the stretch and then getting all of the starts and playing at a really high level in the playoffs all of that has to be in place and you need the godfather offer for me to even consider it that's what it would have to have as a starting point
5: yeah i mean that's that's the only scenario i'm looking at right now like I, i'm only trading villy huso if a team comes calling and they're going to give me a king's ransom type of deal first look a first round draft pick might not sound like a lot but for a guy who's a ufa who you might not be able to afford this off season, it might be a significant offer
0: Also, don't think of it as just being that first-round pick. It becomes a trade asset. Think about that as an asset of right now, I don't know that you have enough draft pick-wise to be able to go out there and acquire Matthew Kachuk with two first-round picks and your third-round pick, and next year having all of your picks, then you definitely have enough to be
5: able to go out there and acquire Matthew But guess what can also happen? You could also see a team like the Edmonton Oilers trade a first-round draft pick for Husso and still suck. And still lose. I mean, remember what happened when Ottawa traded for Matt Duchesne and they thought they'd be better and they were still one of the worst teams in the league. Colorado got a third overall draft pick. That could still happen with something like this. But to sit here and say and look, Vili Huso has been great. Vili Huso has been a savior for this team. But to sit here and say that you don't have the same confidence if Charlie Lindgren were starting a game for you right now than Vili Huso is insanity because Charlie Lindgren was really good for you. I think this, There were real conversations about who do you keep Lindgren up and, over Villa And, Ville and Husso. sent Huso down. Charlie Lindgren's 28 years old. He's never had the opportunity to be in the NHL. He's always been blocked by Carey Price. Again, I'm not saying you got to trade Ville Husso for a fourth-round draft pick because he's a UFA. No, he's going to stay here. But if a team comes calling where I can upgrade my defense and make myself a more Stanley Cup contender or if a team's going to give me a first-round draft pick to where I make myself a dominant force next season, I don't really know if I care if Jordan Bennington's playing at Stanley Cup level because I I, I trust George, Charlie Lindgren to get in there and make the saves just like husso has been doing. And realistically speaking, you're probably not getting that first. Like that, That's the godfather offer that I'm
0: saying, like, okay, that, that's really
5: it's hard to turn The only scenario down. I'm considering here. Or if, the defensive trade. I mean, there is a legitimate possibility that Arizona could look at Husso and say, this is a guy who could help us in three years. So that's
0: the one that I wanted to bring up if arizona came calling though and they said we'll give you a second round conditional second round pick for 2023 not this upcoming draft but the following year and you know arizona is not winning anytime soon and their plan would be okay villejuso is our, our goalie of the future at that point in time right they would sign him and then they would say hey based on how many games he starts for us in tw- next season 2022-23 season we will give you a a second-round pick that, if he doesn't start enough games, becomes a third-round pick, a conditional pick. That's something that I actually think you would have to give serious consideration to because that is also a very tradable asset. Because you're talking about a very early second-round pick, like that might be it's a
5: first-round pick.
0: That might be the what thirty-second overall pick in, in in next year's draft that you're potentially acquiring. Well, thirty-third, excuse yeah. me, thirty-third uh, pick in next year's draft that you're acquiring. You could end up picking. 32nd and 33rd, you've got both of those assets to be able to trade for a big-time piece to get, and we all know, Matthew Kachuk is the one that we've all got our eyes on. That's that's the type of thing that you've got to be considering here. Again, I think it is unlikely that any of this would take place, but if the Blues are in a good situation where they are now first or second in their division... Bennington's playing really well. Everybody is healthy. You don't have to worry about the defenseman because maybe you acquired him elsewhere or Mikula has just established himself as being that guy for you at that point in time. Then maybe, just maybe, if you got a really good offer that is hard for you to turn down, I could see with Lindgren in place... Why it could make sense for this team as opposed to so many others out there?
5: I'm incre- I, I'm fascinated by this. I'm getting so many people texting on the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero. Uh, Huso is going to have a better career than Bennington. There's no way I would trade Ville Huso right now.
6: Amen to that text. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Do you think it's a less than – I think it's a less than 50% chance that Huso is here next year. That's though. what I'm saying. I
5: mean, there's, there's a shot – Ville Huso huso's 27 years old, and Vili Huso sees this scenario like Charlie Lindgren saw the scenario with Kerry Price. Kerry Price is much better than Jordan Bennington, but he saw the scenario of this is the number one guy. I'm going to get time to play, but I'm going to always be a backup here unless he just falls apart, which is not going to happen. But Vili Huso's time to get paid could be this offseason, and if he's going to be asking for anything more than $2 million – Doug Armstrong's not going to do that. He had the option of keeping Jake Allen and Bennington for a combined $10 million, and he chose not to. So unless he's coming into this offseason and saying, I'd like to do a bridge deal, maybe two years, $3 million per year, I don't know if Doug Armstrong's going to do that. But on top of it, last season, people were ready to ship Husso out the door. Last season was, get rid of this guy, you can't stop the puck. And the one thing about Philly Huso is, and again, he has proven this year that he's a number one goaltender, but it has been inconsistent in his career. He had an 870 save percentage with the San Antonio Rampage, then a 909 save percentage, then an 893 with the Blues, then a 93 save percentage with the Blues. It's been inconsistent. Goalies, you never know what's going to happen. He's playing with confidence right now and I'm not saying I'm going to trade him right now, but what I am saying is if there is a team that comes to you and says, we want Villejusso, and we will give you an upgrade on defense to make your team closer to a Stanley Cup championship, I think I would have to pull the trigger on that.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. One more time for Good Measure. Charlie Lindgren. Charlie Lindgren
6: so? Charlie who's
0: Lindgren coming who's up in 15 show? minutes. Six five seven eight zero is your comfort <laughs> service sex slide. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. But next, our NFL weekend look ahead, including who's got the most pressure to perform this weekend. Talking coaches, players, executives. Who's under the most pressure this weekend? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It's the NFL Divisional Round. Oh, Alex, yeah. this is my favorite weekend of the year. The championship weekend is great, but you only get two games. It's one day. It's all consolidated. This is Saturday and Sunday from three thirty tomorrow Sunday,
5: Sunday
0: until 1030 tomorrow night. And then Sunday we've got from two o'clock. I don't know why they do this, but whatever. Two o'clock to eight thirty. It's perfect for Alex because we got the late night hockey in St. Louis as well. Just great for St. Louis. I can't wait. These matchups are fantastic. Right, down, Alex, let's down. go get to our NFL weekend look ahead. Man. What is the matchup you are most looking forward to?
5: D- it, the obvious answer here is Kansas City-Buffalo. I stumped him. I stumped yeah, him on the first did. question. No, Tanner. it's just I didn't want to wow. say the obvious answer. I, honestly, as much as I'm looking forward to Kansas City-Buffalo, I'm really looking forward to Tennessee and Cincinnati. Because I want to see what Derrick Henry looks like. I want to see if Tennessee really is getting disrespected and if they are a powerhouse. But I also want to see, maybe Cincinnati can exploit this defense in the secondary by Tennessee. Maybe Joe Burrow can go off in just an offensive powerhouse. That game's going to be fascinating to see what those two teams can do because it's going to be a telling sign. If Kansas City, Buffalo winner, is going to have an easy path to the Super Bowl or if they're going to have themselves a little bit of a challenge.
6: Yeah, I, I'm with you. Kansas City and Buffalo is the most exciting game. If I'm going to go outside of that one, you I can would...
5: you can go
0: with that. It's okay to go chalk.
6: Wow. I, I
5: never chalk.
0: No, I never, never. chalk.
6: Uh, but the reason I find that one so intriguing is because we keep talking about Buffalo and they're the complete team. And I to me, it's just kind of the all right. Well, you, you got to take down the team that's been the juggernaut for the last couple of years for me to buy in, and that's Kansas City. And then the other one that I am fascinated seeing, shocker, because he's the Rams fan, but it's Rams Tampa Bay because I'm buying so much in on what the Rams did last week, but they're going against the goat. And if I've learned anything from any sport, it's don't bet against the goat. I'm a Pacers fan. I've ran into LeBron a lot in the playoffs, and I never saw the Pacers get to a final. So,
5: yeah, the, the difference is they have five players on the court, and this one's got eleven, and a lot of the eleven stink for Tom Brady. You, you know what is interesting? I'm actually that's the least interesting game to me. Same. Uh, the, out of
0: all four games this weekend, the one that I am least excited about to watch is Rams-Bucks. And that's not to say that it's a bad we, bad game. That would have been by far the best game on the slate last week. But I'm just so intrigued by the other three that it, it's last on my list. I'm with you guys. I'm going chalk. I'm going with Bills-Chiefs. It's the one that's the most interesting to me, and it has nothing to do, I'm being honest here, with me being a Chiefs fan. I just think these teams are so unbelievably evenly matched. You look at the Bills, and this year, did you guys know they were the number one scoring defense in the league this season? It sounds because their defense was actually bad a lot this year. It sounds really surprising, given what their personnel is. It makes a little more sense when you look at the quarterbacks that they've played. So they played against the Chiefs. They beat them head-to-head. Chiefs did all right offensively, but that was going through some of their struggles, and they turned them over a couple of times and were able to get the win. Credit to the Bills. They also played against Tom Brady and the Bucks. They lost to them. Brady scored 30-plus. Otherwise, the next best quarterback on their schedule this year was Ryan Tannehill, and after that, you can make a case. The fourth best quarterback on their schedule was Mac Jones. They've gone up against basically nobody offensively that has a passing attack like the Chiefs, so I'm really curious to see what they are able to do defensively to get some stops against Kansas City. Guys, I made this comparison last night. I think that this is probably what I've kind of honed in on as being the the closest thing to what we're watching between Bills and Chiefs. I think this reminds me of 2003, that postseason, so the 2004 playoffs, when the New England Patriots played against the Indianapolis Colts. Peyton versus Brady. The Colts played against the Chiefs the week prior. That was the infamous no-punt game where neither team punted, and the Colts' offense was basically perfect. They win in Kansas City. They end up moving on 38-31. Then they play against New England, and New England beats them head-to-head, and that's their second Super Bowl in three years, and they go on to have a three three Super Bowls and four-year run. That's when they became the dynasty, and that's when Tom Brady became what we now know to be the GOAT. If Patrick Mahomes wants a chance... To be that guy, the guy that we remember from this era as being the greatest, he's got to win this game. He's got to win this game because early on in Brady's career, that's when he was able to show, I'm the one that owns Peyton. Peyton actually ended up winning more in the playoff, or head-to-head against Brady. Did you know that? Peyton had a winning record against Brady, head-to-head. But we don't remember it that way because early on, Brady was able to take the precedent. So that's why I find this matchup so interesting. It reminds me so much of 3 Patriots versus Colts. I think that's going to be the case for the Bills versus the Chiefs. All right, next one. If we're going to see one upset
5: this weekend, what do you think it's going to be, Alex? Cincinnati over Tennessee. I think that's the upset you'll see. What's the line in San Francisco Green Bay? It's five and a half, right?
0: For Cincinnati? Yeah. No, for San Francisco for, and Green, Green Bay. Green five, five and a half. half,
5: sorry. I, I just don't think San Francisco is going to beat Green Bay, although I can not see that happening. The one that I can see happening is Cincinnati, and for the reasons we've spoke of. I can see Cincinnati exploiting the secondary with Mike Vrabel's defense, but I just don't know how they're going to solve that solution of Derrick Henry. But if it's going to be a shootout versus a Derrick Henry run show, you could see Cincinnati come away with more points in this one because he's got the weapons to exploit that. So I would say Cincinnati's the upset.
6: I like that one because Cincinnati is like bottom, I think it's like bottom five or bottom seven in the league against the pass. And I could see Joe Burrow having a big game. I just don't trust the Bengals defense enough. That's why I look at the Rams. And the reason I look at the Rams as the upset pick is because of what I mentioned earlier. Tampa Bay's offensive line's just beat up right now. Worfs dealing with an injury. Uh, Jensen's dealing with an injury. And the passing rush, again, looked really good for the Rams. Vaughn Miller had maybe his best game as a Ram last weekend. I expect him, Aaron Donald, they're going to rush Tom Brady. You got to get to him quickly because he gets the ball out of his hands so quickly. The difference maker could be Rob Gronkowski because he didn't play much in the first time they met, but I think the Rams will come away and win this one in Tampa Bay.
0: I actually think both of the games on Sunday is where we see our upsets. I'm with you, Tanner. I agree. I've got the Rams beating the Bucks head-to-head in Tampa Bay. And then as I mentioned all week, I think the Bills are able to take this one down in Kansas City. I've got them winning straight up against the Chiefs. I think too many people are taking the 49ers against the Packers. I've been surprised surprised by the way that that has become kind of the, the upset du jour this week. The way that the 49ers honestly were the pick last week against the Cowboys as well. And there are so many people that are taking the Bengals against the Titans at this point that I'm all in on the Titans. That That's my big pick for the week. So I like the two upsets this week if we're going to see them, and it's a small one in in Kansas City, but the Bills over the Chiefs, and I'm with Tanner, I agree, the Rams against the Buccaneers. Next thing as we go to our NFL weekend look ahead, who is the player, the coach, the person this weekend that you believe has the most pressure on them to perform? Who's the guy that this weekend, as we go into the divisional round, you think has the most pressure to perform right now?
6: Man. T-Bone, do you have one in mind? Why don't you start this one off? There's so many that could fit in this category. I, was and I hate to say, I'm kind of stumped. Josh Allen's one for me, just because this is that game that we're talking about. That he can kind of, he get the conversation will be oh, man. Josh Allen's better than Patrick Mahomes. He can win this one if he comes out and lays an egg. Then it's going to be tough for him to rebound in the following seasons to come. Another one for me, and I hate to stick with the Rams game constantly, but it's Matthew Stafford. He wasn't brought in to beat Kyler Murray in the Cardinals in the in the wild card round. He was brought in to go up against the greatest of all time in Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. He was brought in to beat the elite quarterbacks, and this is his opportunity to do it. If he doesn't play well, he had like 17 passes. They didn't really throw the ball. Their plan last weekend against the Cardinals was basically, we're going to just run the ball, establish the running game. Stafford didn't have to do anything. So if he has a bad game, there's a lot of pressure on him to perform well in this one.
5: Before I answer this, can I ask this question? Is there any pressure on Tom Brady, not in terms of feeling pressure, but pressure on I'm trying to think of the way to frame this. Is there pressure on the fan base that want to watch Tom Brady perform going into this game for him? No. Because if he loses, does it get a little more worried that he, he's going to retire? No, you don't think so. I think there's a I think there's a non-zero chance that he retires regardless of the
0: uh, outcome, outcome, of, the outcome game. of this weekend. But no, I, I okay. I think Brady is so so far past any pressure.
5: Yeah, no, I was that. just thinking more so like fans of Tom Brady, like pressure for him to win because they know it could be the end if he loses. Yeah. But that's not my answer here. My answer here is Ryan Tannehill. And I feel like there's never very many directions Tennessee can go if Tannehill doesn't perform. But I do think the conversation has to be there because him as a quarterback got to the AFC championship game and lost. And every season you're talking about, eh, he's okay. And that's about it. So I think you got to get over this hump now that you got Derrick Henry, you got A.J. Brown, you got Julio Jones. Defense may not be the best, but you have your team in place. I think the pressure's on Ryan Tannehill because if he doesn't perform, Tennessee's going to have to capitalize on having Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown in their primes. And I think you're going to look at the quarterback position. I'm going Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is a
0: three-time MVP, probably about to be a four-time MVP. He's got every individual accolade you could possibly ask for. He's going to go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the sport. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's won one Super Bowl. One. He's been to one Super Bowl. He's lost in each of his last four conference championship games. And if he doesn't get to the conference championship game this year, there's no guarantee that he gets there again. He's 38 years old right now. I don't think he's going to be Tom Brady and play for another five-plus seasons. I think you've got probably two, maybe three more years of Aaron Rodgers. If you finish your career with Rodgers and you get to one Super Bowl, that has to be a massive disappointment. I don't think there's any other way to look at it. Because you went your entire career with one of the best quarterbacks of this generation. You got to one to one. Eli Manning was able to get to two. That's got to be a huge disappointment for the Packers. So I I think a guy that has a ton of pressure this year, especially given how well he played, what all of the off field stuff included for Rodgers. The Packers kind of need to get to the Super Bowl this year. It's it's maybe their last best chance with Rodgers playing at such an elite level. I think he's got to get this one, especially now that we've heard Jimmy G with the shoulder issue, with the hand issue, the home field advantage in Lambeau. And it's supposed to be freezing cold there. Everything is playing into the Packers' hands. They've got to be able to come away with a victory this weekend. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie, It's BK and Ferrario. On 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we'll get to the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But next, it's time for our weekly edition of One's Gotta Go. You give us four options, we will tell you which one's gotta go here on 101
3: ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrari. On time oh. now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's Gotta Go on 101 ESPN.
2: That, that big
1: before we
0: get to one's got to go 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for one's got to go you give us four options we'll tell you which one has to go a quick update it was not included well, we in just did an update you don't Sports need to do Center more of an update. update uh there are some injuries that have been announced according to lindsey thury of espn.com she's a rams reporter andrew whitworth will be out against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's going to change. Chalk that it. is a that is a really big injury for them. Stafford's
5: going to be playing on his rear end. It, I, I've got some serious
0: questions can't about turn both the ball of those over teams. Over then. Uh, Honestly, <laughs> it, it's not a sexy thing to say. That game's going to come down to which team's offensive line is able to take care of the front four of the opposition. It, it's going to be an offensive
5: line-driven game. It definitely so I, puts them in the even playing field, though, with Tom Brady not having... His Potentially not weapons. having
0: Tristan Wirfs as, as well. So that that's one. And then in the Kansas City game, uh, there was an arrest that took place earlier this week. Don't want to get too far into it. But Willie Gay was arrested. Their linebacker. It's a misdemeanor that was charged against him. He's going to play on Sunday against the Bills. So a big one being able to have him for Kansas City against Buffalo. All right. Let's get into one's got to go. One got to go for the Blues, Alex. Craig Baruby. Jordan Bennington, Jordan Cairo, or Robert Thomas? Which one's got to go?
5: You guys are
6: doing this one on purpose. Go ahead and say it.
5: Jordan Bennington's got to go yeah that is the correct answer I'm with you you painted me into a corner here. I mean you can't get rid of guys like that's
0: your future and Craig Baruby is also a significant piece of your future if you don't
5: have Craig Berube Kyru and Thomas don't have the careers that they're gonna have that's with right. him in my opinion so as much as I hate to say it because I'm a Jordan Bennington guy I think he's the one that's got to go here
6: I'm with you guys. I don't like these trap games Jordan <laughs> Jordan Bennington's got to go and it it's painful to say it, but right now he's your third best goalie. Oh, stop so. it! You don't, th- you don't
5: believe what you just came out of your mouth. With. Uh, right now, it's I do. I do believe that.
6: I-, I see you, Bennington. I'm sorry, but he's got to go.
0: Air Comfort
6: Service tax Line. Four options. We'll tell you which
0: one's got to go. Four options of oh, beverages: soda. We sure beer? No, not sure. Soda, okay. beer, water, or coffee, Alex. Which one's got to go? Oh, I'd get rid of soda. Uh, did, did did you hear what Alex is doing, by the way, Tanner? No. Alex came in this morning yawning while saying this,
5: I should add. Well, good nine o'clock game. What can you expect, right? And he said, I can yawn on command. Hey, by the for way. the next month, I'm going no coffee. No coffee.
0: What? I said, Alex, you're going what,
5: just straight water.
0: There's what do no you shot. mean? No, wh- why? Why are you going no coffee? Man, I walked up the stairs the other day, and I was out of breath. Yeah, I told people that. That's not I a coffee that, problem. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a
5: getting in shape problem, not a well, I drink is. too much coffee problem. Yeah, but if you're going to try and get into shape, you got to drink more water. So I'm cutting out the coffee, and I'm just going to strictly stick with water. What? You drink pond scum every day. At least I can stop drinking it's coffee. pond scum. He does it's, drink pond scum.
0: It's, it's juice, man. It's juice. It's Don't look juice. like it. So I'm going to get rid kale of- and spinach and
6: Despite celery
5: of- and ginger. It's great. I just- trash. <laughs> Basically, it's literally what I
6: dump in my trash can Sorry. every day. There's no way you survive a week without coffee. <laughs> no chance.
0: You guys want to he- bet? Monday morning after a late night oh, Sunday yeah. game, oh, I forgot about Alex that will one. be a nightmare if he gets
5: rid of coffee.
6: We got back-to-back West Coast games, my man. There's no shot you're getting rid of no coffee. Chance. Forgot
5: about that. Well, I'm going to do it, though. I'm going to do it. But I'm getting rid of soda in this conversation. I am as well. I don't <laughs> I don't really
6: drink soda Where
5: do we go here?
0: Uh, one's got to go soda, beer, water, or coffee. Soda is the one out of those three that I drink the least amount of. So that's, for me, the one that's got to go. Tanner, which one are you going with?
6: This is an easy one get rid of water i was totally gonna say he was getting rid of water you gotta keep the coffee you gotta keep the beer and soda is a nice refresher with a nice ingredient
5: of beer is right water (laughs) how's that so you ain't drinking anything you know what the main ingredient of coffee is, right? Water. <laughs> you know what the main ingredient of soda is, right? Yeah, but right? this
6: is just like it, itself. Water. We're not going by the. If we're going to go technical at the Dude, basis of it, you had to keep water. But there
5: are some days where just water tastes incredible. Oh, 100 percent.
6: I've Especially never, I've never had one of those days. No, no. You get in. You get inside. You get inside. And you're the professional the lawn, athlete of the group. And he That's he just what you just open an ice cold Dr Pepper. What was Ooh. the last time you drank a water? I haven't even had water yet today. (laughs) Like, you're the athlete of the group. Get out of here. 65780
0: is the Air Comfort Service text line for one's got to go. One got to go. St. Louis Attraction Edition. The Arch, the St. Louis Zoo, Bush Stadium, or Forest
5: Park. Which one's got to go, Alex? This one's simple. It's the Arch. Been there, done that. Don't need to do it again. You've been there once. You've been there every single time you go. And I went there a lot when I was growing up. So, really? Yeah. I, it felt like we did a field trip there every single year. And I'm like, what are we doing this for? I know they got that really cool museum there that was fun to do. But, like, going up into the arch or being on the arch grounds, been there, done that. Look, I love St. Louis. Born and bred. Doesn't sound like it. Sounds once, like you're a hater. That's true. Sounds sound once, once like a hater. <laughs> once at the arch is enough for me.
6: Man, I'm kind of torn. All the torn. Ones are too good. See, I'm... I'm debating between the zoo and the arch. I've only been to the arch once. Wouldn't mind going again. Uh, There is
5: no possible way you can say the zoo with a straight face. I...
6: Sure I can. It's the only the free zoo in America. A zoo is a zoo. They all got the same animals. They're usually sleeping when I go. They so. absolutely do not have the same animals. Most zoos have the same animals. You know what I see Damn. here? I see at other zoos? The St. Louis Zoo giraffe. is world-renowned. It is like
5: the <laughs> best zoo in America. You know, and you're going to be like, oh, I yeah, gonna I don't say, need to go. I was
6: going to say the arch, but you guys have convinced me it's the zoo. The zoo's got to go. <laughs> oh, I'm going to the jerk. arch. <laughs> the arch. Wait, what? Wait, you said the zoo. No, I'm getting rid of the zoo. I'm going to go to the arch. That's what I'm saying.
5: Oh. Well, have fun going there every single time because you've done it once. Yeah, I've I've got to get rid of the I'm
6: arch gonna have, as I'm well. I'm going to have great selfies for my Tinder profile. I'm It'd not a hater like Alex, and I'm
0: certainly not a hater like Tanner True. either. I love all of these monuments. I think all of these are what makes St. Louis oh such a great place to live. The Bush Stadium, I mean... Uh, There are very few stadiums that I would rather go to in Major League Baseball. Forest Park, in all seriousness, is like my favorite area in St. Louis. The zoo is world-renowned. And the arch is what makes our city what it is. Fascinating. We look at it
5: in pictures and drive by it. When
0: you're driving downtown, what do you say, Alex, when you're in the I car with say, your wife?
5: I don't say I'm going to stop at hey, the honey, arch. Hey,
0: look, it's the arch. Exactly.
5: You know what we do? We drive right past it. You ask anybody from St. Louis who's lived there in their entire life, they'll say, yeah, been there, done that. And did you know that the zoo is free here? I did know that the <laughs> zoo is free. It is the only free zoo.
0: 65780. Oh is the Air Comfort Service text line for One's Gotta Go. One Gotta Go, host edition. Oh, don't do this. We did this
5: before, remember? Wait,
6: what is it?
0: One's Gotta Go, host edition.
5: Oh, boy. I'll get rid of myself. We'll start there. Randy, Michelle, BT, or Jamie Rivers? Oh, my God. Uh, T-Bone, start
6: us off. You gotta be kidding me! What what kind of question is this?
0: I'm not answering. I'm, I'm not answering. Yeah, I think we <laughs> got to get to a break.
6: I think we got to get to
0: a
3: break today. Coming
5: up next, the I'm BK getting rid and of Ferrari.
3: Rewind on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page. Sulper is presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. If you do so, you'll hear our conversation with Ryan Clark, the Seattle Kraken reporter for The Athletic. He told us earlier today what we should expect in some sort of a package for Mark Giordano and how likely it is for the Blues. And Alex, that's one of the many reasons why I'm interested in watching tonight's game. I'm obviously curious to see what the Blues look like on the road. It's been one of There are very few issues this year, 7-7-3 on the season on the road. They need to improve that in the future. But I also want to see what Mark Giordano looks like against this Blues team. He's one of the guys that we've talked a ton about as a potential trade candidate as we get closer to the deadline. And you're going to be able to see what he looks like against maybe the best forward depth group in all of hockey. I want to see what that looks like tonight for Giordano.
5: Yeah, well, and remember back to when they played against Seattle earlier this season. I mean, uh, Kraken held the Blues to two goals, and Mark Giordano was on the ice in that game. Look, Mark Giordano is a really good defenseman, and I think if there was a, a pick of the litter, Chikrin would be number one, but I think for what the Blues need, Mark Giordano would make more sense. Now, with what Ryan Clark told us, because you're going to have to have somebody eat some of that salary. And it doesn't just have to be Seattle, by the way, because there are other teams around the NHL that have made it very clear, hey, we'll eat salary for draft pick compensation. So maybe you only got to give up a first-round pick for to get Mark Giordano and say, we'll take all the salary, but then you call up the Buffalo Sabres and say, hey, we'll give you a second-round pick for next year's draft if you eat half of our salary. It's something to take into consideration, but if the cost to get Giordano because you want them to eat half of the salary, is a first round pick and a good prospect, like Ryan Clark told us. Uh, the Blues are going to be out on him. Hey, what about this Carson Sushi guy? Sushi? Just 27 years
0: old. He's a defenseman for them, a left-handed player, he's 6'5", 215 oh, pounds. Sounds like a mongoon. He's been very good defensively for them this year. He is a responsible guy, but he's more of a third-pairing defenseman. As I'm watching tonight, that's another player that I'm going to have my eye on. Now, he is cost-controlled for another couple of seasons, so he's not a rental the way that Giordano would be, but... Carson Susi's another one in their third pair that might be worthy of at least keeping an eye on tonight to see what he looks like as well. What
5: I'd be curious about, too, is if he if Scott Perunovich knows anything about him because he played at the University of Minnesota Duluth. Now, he played 2016, 2017. And he's 27. So I don't remember the last time that Perunovich played there. I well, feel it, like he, there's like a five year gap in age difference. So. Yeah, you might be right. But look, Susi. I don't remember much about him, but I do remember he was a part of the Minnesota Wild, and I remember him being a pretty decent type of player for Minnesota. If you look at his numbers. He was a plus-22 last season with Minnesota in 50 games, plus-16 in 55 games. Now, you were looking at the numbers, and it looks like he doesn't play a whole lot of minutes, but that might be opportunity. It might be where he has played because Minnesota, he's down the rankings with Spurgeon and Brodeen and Dumba, and then now with Seattle. I mean, they've got Alexiak Giordano. Uh, Before the injuries took place, they had a couple of other guys. Susie would make some sense. I don't know if he's a top-pairing guy, but he's a guy you got control with, and he's a big guy who can play physical. As the Blues are on the ice tonight, obviously looking for them to get the W, but also
0: looking at who the Seattle Seattle Kraken have that might be of interest to the Blues at the deadline. Blues versus Kraken tonight. Pre-game coverage with Alex at 8.00. Puck drop at nine o'clock by right the, here on
5: one hundred and one ESPN. By the way, Jim Thomas reporting. It looks like Ville Huso is the first one off the ice, so all signs pointing to him starting.
0: Coming up from two to six, the fast lane has you covered. We'll be back on Monday at eleven right here on one hundred and one ESPN. That for you
5: and Tanner Hendrickson and
0: uh, I'm Brandon Kiley. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I am Ron Burgundy.